This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the truth come above boards to the world. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. Episode 70. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we're going to do a little book report once again on uh, a kind of influential text from the 1970s (laughs) from our favorite university. Little book reports, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah, our favorite research research institute uh, at our favorite university. Yes, yes. Uh, um, yes. I actually don't know if you're referring to the Hoover Institute or the Stanford Research Institute. They're just both so great. I was talking and about so, the Stanford Research Institute. Yeah, mm, uh, yeah, true. Yeah, which one is our favorite? Uh, it's hard to say, but yeah. Yeah, SRI doesn't um, have a William J. Casey fellow, so that's a strike against them, I suppose. But yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're uh, there's a book that has popped up on our radar i think at various points i i became aware of it many years ago it's something that's often mentioned in certain corners of the conspiracy world but and also i think yeah i think if anybody some, had, i could see this is like very red meat for this type uh, for like a conspiracy type of thing for sure it's yes, very much yes. like something that you could take in all sorts of different directions i actually hadn't heard of this but i found it very interesting once uh you uh made me aware of it uh it's right up my alley in certain ways like uh mm-hmm. again like it's kind of dated it's weird because it came out like in the seven in the, in the mid 70s this was published by mm-hmm. like an assemblage of scholars led by uh ow markley it is published in 1974 but it's very much like you know uh levi strauss like typical 70s like you know, anthropological, like, woo-woo, like, Idris mm-hmm, Shah mm-hmm. type stuff. Yep. Yeah, Joseph Campbell, a, uh, we got Margaret Yeah, Mead. Joseph Campbell, the, even, it, yeah. It's really a greatest hit, a, a greatest yeah. hits of, mm-hmm. like, the mid-20th century Western social engineers and, like, woo-woo theorists that were hovering around, yeah, it's like, woo-woo. major institutions. It's incredibly woo-woo. It's, the, it's mm-hmm. really something. Yeah, it's interesting because it has that kind of, like, policy recommendation type of thing. They mentioned in the introduction to the edition that we read, which is the the Pergamon publishing edition. Uh, yeah, Press. sure is. That came out in, uh, I guess, 1982, that edition. But, yeah, they mentioned yes, that did. they had trouble 
getting it published because it's so like weird because it's like a sort of like white paper almost but Mm -hmm. you know it's it's something that the premise of it for one this is we're talking about changing images of man edited as we said by O.W. Markey and Willis W. Harmon but actually a collaborative work by a group of scholars each of them contributing more to various chapters of it Uh, it has a couple of of different chapters um yes and it was it was kind of a collective uh white paper that resulted from a research project that was uh, administered by the urban and social systems division of the stanford research institute and i think i think the first version of it maybe came out in 1972 or 73 i think it was 74 that it or maybe like, it was but it was published by stanford i think yeah and yeah. then it was published um, in the 80s like you said and i actually didn't know this until i started i had read sections of it before but i'd never sat down and kind of read mostly the whole thing but the version we were able to get i think from archive was indeed the pergamon edition and it's kind of indicative of uh some of the I don't know, the appeal of reading this book, if you're into the kind of the stuff that we're into, in that it is just like the absolute maximum rogues gallery of sus individuals, not just in this like woo-woo place, but right off the bat on the first page, you see Pergamon International Library of Science, Technology, Engineering, and Social Studies. You know, I just kind of thought, okay, this is like an obscure scientific publisher, but then it says under that publisher, Robert Maxwell, MC. And I went and checked up on that and yes, that is the Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, that published this book. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what that's all that's about. Uh, that's you amazing. know, the, the master spy himself, uh, you know, was mm-hmm. very invested in getting this uh, this changing images of man report out to the people that you know, yeah. need to read it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, yes. the Maxwell family also, they're not actually super separate from a lot of this like very weird cutting edge kind of science stuff i believe Ghislaine maxwell's sister is married to somebody who was partners at jpl with um with a uh, jack parsons hmm. yeah so they have like deep like, yeah hmm. so much of this book is like about you know how we need to basically the changing images of man it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the book Controlling Minds of Asia that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Idris Shah's father wrote because, like, of uh-huh. course, it's, you know, about the minds that are leaders and control Asia is, like, what it's kind of, like, you're supposed to mean. But, of course, it has just, of, like, contr- you know, how to control the minds of Mind Asia. Mind control. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, yeah, this really isn't, like, you know, this isn't, like, a survey, really, of changing images of man. There's, like, a little bit of that, although it's very bad and, like, stupid. Like, a lot of their, like, mm-hmm. academic ideas or, like, their historical ideas are dumb. Like, really, this is about, like, we need to change the image of man because, like, our technological idea, you know, the uh, technological extrapolation, the image of man, you know, our individualistic capitalist uh, notion of humanity and its place and its relationship to the environment, like, isn't tenable. Uh, which, you know, mm-hmm. is a pretty uncontroversial idea that definitely has some truth, but it is interesting, like, when you, like, think about like how this type of thinking has borne itself out and you think about like you know to go up on the pick up on the uh Gilhane maxwell connection like uh epstein mm-hmm. you know and all the people that he would fraternize with like they're you know the scientific creative thinkers yep. who are supposed to be you know who are kind of uh, picked out by the authors of the study as the people who are going to forge a new paradigm of Mm -hmm. the conception of humanity to save us from disaster and like it's all just like the most craven 
like awful like nanite cloud type stuff which is like totally just a further development and like hypertrophization of the all the things that are supposed to be the problem uh Mm -hmm. so like all this like age of aquarius shit like has just you know uh nothing good has come of it uh oh yeah exactly and you know i think if you look at i'm just looking at the list of reviewers who you know made some contributions to this report and there's some there's some heavy hitters here and especially not just their names but like where uh the institutes that they worked for so you got joseph campbell out of new york we'll we're yeah probably come back to him a number of times because he's very influential on the kind of the whole framing of this whole thing you have a yeah, Rene- he comes up a bunch of times and he even has mm-hmm. some editorial comments that he made uh at certain points that are in this edition they're represented uh like his you know little comments on things but he's also cool oh yeah and super influential uh-huh. yeah on the whole way e- of thinking exactly that, yeah. and then you have say like renee dubot from rockefeller university uh edgar s dunn jr from the resources for the future inc in washington dc you have james fadiman from stanford university he's a super sus uh kind of a woo-woo psychologist who's definitely probably caught up in MK Ultra. Uh, just reading his thing here, you know, he went to Harvard and got a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. Uh, or I'm sorry, he got a master's and doctorate from Stanford in 1965. In Paris in 1961, his friend and former Harvard undergraduate advisor Ram Das introduced him to psychedelics, psilocybin. As a graduate student at Stanford, Fadman was Stuart Brand's LSD guide on Brand's first LSD right. trip in 1962 at my Byron Stolaroff's International Foundation for Advanced Study in Menlo Park. While living in Menlo Park, Fadiman and his wife were Ken Kesey's Perry Lane neighbors and friends. In 1963, Fadiman worked at Stanford's Augmentation Research Center, a division that did research on network computing. Fadiman was also part of the team in the Psychedelics and Problem Solving Experiment at the International Foundation for Advanced Study, which was abruptly halted in 1966. He is currently a proponent of microdosing and collects anecdotal reports from those yeah, who practice it. of course. It. Uh, he was also a director, and this is another great group that pops up he was a director at the institute of noetic sciences from 1975 to 77 of course he was and there's another guy in here john white who i think might may have been running the institute of noetic sciences that's also a reviewer of this text and so you know those people pop up well willis harman also was an institute of noetic sciences guy who was like a a writer Uh, on this uh Mm -hmm. i think he you know he was like a pretty big contributor uh so yeah the institute of noetic sciences was heavily involved in in this book yeah so uh, we're, we're talking about very much like the same kind of milieu of people that were that we talked about like in the grateful dead episode and other episodes about all these yeah. people like swirling around palo alto and menlo park in the early 1960s doing yeah, lsd just, like coming up with ugh. yeah it's all very tragic because like it's just you know i mean in a way like it's not because like well, it, yeah, like, in a way, like, you know, you don't have anything, like, pity for these people because, like, they really should have, like, known better. I think there is, like, a lot of naivete going on, but, like, the idea, like, you know, it's just, like, the notion that, you know, they really do, like, have, the book is, like, so optimistic, like, in tone, you know, it, you really, they really, like, I think that a lot of the people who contributed to this, like, really bought into this stuff as, like, being uh positive for humanity uh and like just I, it's yeah yeah i mean oblivious-ness. i 
I guess you could say that. I guess, but then you see some other names on here, like B.F. Skinner from Harvard University. A little harder for me to like read noble intent into his kind of whole theory of behavior behaviorism, which they even mention in this, like upsets yeah, some people. Yeah, yeah, that's like it's considered. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, you got somebody from Yale, Henry Marginow, who I think it's cited a lot. You have Margaret Mead. And I believe, I don't know if Gregory Bateson is officially on this, but he is referenced and quoted multiple times. You know, her husband, Gregory Bateson. And uh, you have Robert A. Smith III from Huntsville, Alabama, where all the Nazi rocket scientists were. I don't know what's up with that. Carl Rogers from the Center for Studies of the Person in Spooked Out La Jolla, California, near San Diego. And, you know, somebody from uh, Harvard Business School and a bunch of other, you know, you know Cambridge and uh, some kind of cybernetic systems theorists. Um, there's a, I think, Hungarian yeah. guy named Irvin Laszlo who pops up a lot. And yeah, there's just a like whole a section real about thing. cybernetics and systems theory uh, in this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, something that is, yeah, it's a really amazing mix of things. Like there's one list that like they propose like a lot of different things as uh, potential, uh, you know, things that they're very uh sanguine about as having uh, a good potential for humankind you know that's how it's presented like obviously like the audience there's a certain audience for this and there's just so many opportunities where you can see how like all of the caveats are going to be disregarded honestly like i think that uh, a great epitome of the entire book is like or of the entire study is towards the very end, like on page 199, when they're laying out the strategy strategies for achieving this. I think this like mm-hmm. really distills like perfectly what the sort of impression of the book is. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, they're talking about uh, this is a one bullet pointed strategy or like a important principle for bringing about the change in the image of man that we need to achieve in order for society to be preserved and for us to you know not destroy ourselves through. Basically, they don't say capitalism, but mm-hmm. in fact, like they, they often really refer to like capitalism to. positively, but like the technological post-industrial, like whatever, you know, so uh, they say that we must accept the necessity of social controls for the transition period while safeguarding against longer term losses of freedom. The transformation that is underway has a paradoxical aspect according to the five initial premises. In considerable measure, it has been brought about by the success of material progress through better nutrition, higher standard of living, education, and the media in raising more persons above excessive concerns with subsistence needs. All right, yeah. Uh, On the other Mm -hmm. hand, as a transition-related economic decline and social disruption set in, they will tend to accentuate materialistic security needs. Political tensions will arise, and disunity will characterize social affairs. Regulation and restraint of behavior will be necessary in order to hold the society together while it goes around a difficult corner. The more there can be a general understanding of the transitory but inescapable nature of this need, the higher will be the likelihood that a more permanent authoritarian regime can be avoided. So, yeah, like, okay, I get it. Yeah, like, we want to avoid a more permanent authoritarian regime, but for They're kind of making an argument that it might be inevitable. Well, they are saying that to a certain point, it's inevitable. they're, They're, like, straight up saying that at a certain point, it's inevitable. And, like, as a reader, like, if I'm in a position where I'm going to be part of the authoritarian regime, I don't care about the second part. You're telling me that an authoritarian <laughs> regime will be helpful. Yeah. And then you're like, but, you know, we obviously don't want to have this for too long. It's like, well, maybe I do. 
know, like, yeah, maybe, yeah like, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That uh, that actually brings up um, one of the many uh, comparisons that I know we wanted to get to in general of like the, our framing of like how how I guess we read this book, and I kind of read it in a similar way to the way we've read. Michael Aquino and Paul Vallely's Mind War paper from 1980, which even though they're not literally, there's no kind of direct interlock connection between them, they clearly are drawing from a lot of the same kind of research and ideas that were floating around in places like Palo Alto and in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1970s. And Aquino is definitely aware and plugged into like all of the kind of, you know, woo-woo experiments at SRI and the human potential movement and stuff. He just had like a kind of dark version of that that he kind of embraced. But, you know, he was it's like there's so many things in the Mind War paper where he almost starts going off about how, you know, we could do this and that. And, you know, some might say that this sounds a lot like what Joseph Goebbels like would have wanted to do. And that why that is why it is axiomatic that Mind War must always tell the truth and stand up for like the highest value or something so he just throws in this caveat of like well it would be really effective if we did this now some people might say that this is kind of like totalitarian kind of mind control or social conditioning on like a very proactive mass scale that is similar to what the nazis did but that's why we're gonna have like a code and we're not gonna like abuse it and we're gonna always tell the truth even though later he says you know the goal of mind war is to like make people accept the truth even if it's not already true to make them believe that it will inevitably become true and thus you just have to like capitulate and so yeah. it sounds you know it's like he's basically giving all yeah. of this toolkit to the generals and then being like yes but of course like you know like literally like dr strangelove like uh this could be very uh you know of course some may have ethical concerns yeah, exactly. about this but you know like it is necessary yeah. for the future you know <laughs> to basically yeah, like he's true. sitting in there I, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and i get a, i get a similar like a vibe bit... from this book yeah i get a very similar vibe. i mean the impression is a little bit different for me because i maybe just put my the context of like knowing about aquino like i always feel like yeah. aquino like knows what's up like you know, writing his fantasy books about the Nazis. Like, I don't uh-huh. really think that Aquino... I, I do get a sense of, like, that's... Like, you know, this is a collaboration with a lot of people, some of whom I think, like, were genuinely, like, psyop themselves. But, mm-hmm. yeah, there might also be some people who are a bit, like, unscrupulous or didn't really care or did have that sort of orientation towards it. But I also just... Yeah, there... I mean, I guess maybe if you didn't know Aquino, you might read Mind War and just think, like, wow, this guy is really naive and oblivious i don't think that's really the case but mm-hmm. yeah i feel like i don't know some of this does just have that general atmosphere of 70s bullshit of like being taken in by the potential of scientology or whatever like which literally is mentioned as they uh, literally as favorably quote things about scientology and that was a funny thing throughout where i kept reading citations for hubbard and maybe because i i I looked into uh, Al Hubbard recently, you know, from uh, who was one of the kind of Johnny Appleseeds of LSD and pretty sus dude that I assumed they they must be talking about Al Hubbard and referencing him, which I thought was significant. But then later they list like all of these new kind of uh, human potential spiritual things from like yoga and everything else. And then they like literally bring up like Scientology parentheses Hubbard 1956. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they're literally favorably uh, quoting L. Ron Hubbard and holding up Scientology as a positive 
you know, step forward in this process of changing the image of man. I guess we should talk real quick about what what does that refer to, changing images of man, and what are they kind of getting at in this entire kind of a um, book or paper? Yeah, well, basically, like, the image of man, uh, there's multiple, like, problematic aspects of it. Like, it's basically, like, you know, the evil, Semitic, Judeo-Christian, Islamic, you know, uh, closed-off, evil, monotheistic religions that aren't, like, Eastern Eastern wisdom, which is, like, <laughs> you know, kind of ironic. And, uh, <laughs> it is. And just, like, very fucking stupid. Yeah, it's, like, that and you know, like, uh, basically capitalism, basically like corporate greed and everything, you know, about like this genocidal, about like the modern era and like industrial society. That's like the current image of man, you know, man as being above nature and being able to make use of nature for his own uh, purposes. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that is causing, you know, and as being special in some way or, you know, basically, this evil image of man that or this bad image this uh, destructive image of man that we is gonna sabotage us and lead to an ecological or population-based catastrophe that Mm -hmm. you know we need to get around yes and a great way to do this is yeah uh through embracing yeah all this weird the, stuff yeah. well it's like embracing the power that they, they postulate that uh, like a huge kind of um driver i i guess you would say of of civilization uh, of civilizations is basically dependent upon the commonly held kind of image of man that that culture mm-hmm. puts forth that is kind of commonly believed in so they kind of go through pretty at length and I think sometimes yeah in a kind of sloppy way you know different uh, dominant images of man going back to yeah. antiquity and then going through the middle ages and the renaissance and then to today which they kind of focus on as like advanced industrial society they never really call it capitalism and I think they no. only explicitly refer exactly. to socialism Complex a couple times societies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, yeah they propose kind of a, a soft quote-unquote new socialism which is just like Mm, yeah a lot of their ideas it's so funny because you know uh someone who you know has a little bit of sauciness himself as we know uh derrida uh you know and i think i just have it on my mind because i've been reading his stuff about arto lately but one of his big points really is his whole one of his big points in his whole career is just like how all these like destructive discourses these discourses that want to force this big revolution or transformation a lot of the time they can't escape like the epistemic confines that they're operating within and so mm-hmm. everything that they come up with once they're like let's you know uh this is how we need to transform it's just like this like psychotic hyper capitalist like liberal like you know globalist thing yes. like uh, yeah you know they're yeah, kind of it, it reminds you know, me invo- getting it, involved with the third world you know will be a benefit to them and the corporations like wow uh-huh. like Everyone's what an age win. of aquarius you know yeah like uh <laughs> No, this is actually exactly. a great, like, yeah, there's a great chart that, like, uh, like really uh, triggered me in here. Uh-huh. Like, uh, it's uh, Table 3, uh, Dominant Images of Humankind Throughout History. So they go through all of history in, like, a very, like, sloppy, dumb way, which I think is, is pretty amusing. So they start off with, you know, the midi- Middle Paleolithic, right? That's the beginning. That's uh, 2,500,000 to 40,000 BC. And so the dominant image of man then was the hunter, 
uh, and he was the focus of the male-dominated culture field of the Great Hunt. But few cultures have this image active now. That's one of the columns, is cultures in which image is at present active. This isn't active in many cultures in its pure form, uh, but it is maybe in its militaristic equivalent. But this has bad significance for the post-industrial era in terms of, like, you know, moving past our, our era uh, now because it jeopardizes mm -hmm. cross-cultural peace, but it may be necessary for police operations. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, so then, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, then we move into the Upper Paleolithic, where there's a sense of spiritual affinity between beasts and man, of which totemism is an expression. And so this is still active in various American Indian cultures with traditions intact. And this has significance for, you know, the post-industrial era because there could be a renewed sense of partnership with other life forms on the planet, you know. Then, mm. after 9000 BC in the Neolithic, that's when we get, uh, you know, I guess agriculture. So then we have the planter, the child of the goddess, woman, the giver of life. And this image is present in uh, Hindu and certain other cultures. And uh, this is useful, it has possible relevance because it could balance the male emphasis of Western culture. Then we have the Sumerian image of man, and that comes in in 3500 BC. So that's when the human is civilized through submission to seasonal variations and ruling elites. Uh, most cultures are still have this idea. And this has relevance as a historical analogy, and it shows the political function of new images. Then we get to the, you know, the, the really bad thing. That's when, and then it all goes wrong in 2350 BC when you have the Semite image. And oh. that's uh, the human as a mere creature fashioned yeah. of clay to serve the gods or of some god as a slave, but superior to and having dominion over nature. Notion of quote-unquote chosen people. So this is part of Orthodox Jewish, comma, Christian, and Islamic faiths. Uh-oh. Mm. Stands in its present form as an obstacle to emergence of new ecological understandings. Oh, uh, okay. It's just okay. like, of all things, like for one, if there's a problem with the notion of chosen people, I feel like we're seeing it, you know, right now we're recording this on May 14th. Uh, so I feel uh -huh. like there might be something to point out as a problem, but I don't think sure. that there's anything about that that is like harming the environment. Like, I don't like, you know, it's harming. That's very, that's very rooted. That's very rooted in the American context, I think. Well, I mean, you could maybe say that about European colonialism over the last 500 years that there was well, that Well, I would kind almost say that doesn't have anything to do with Christianity or Orthodox, you know, or the Semitic image from 2,500 and uh, 2,350 BC. I think that I has agree. to do with the Enlightenment and the yeah. idea of brute matter, not with like, you know, the idea of humankind as being, having a, a khalifa over the earth and being custodians of the world. Uh, yes. There's like a huge uh, ecological impetus in Islamic faiths. But anyway. <laughs> well, but even, even like medieval Christianity, yeah. I feel like was, didn't have the kind of a rampaging Protestant ethos of like, yeah, see, it exactly. says here in the Bible, got to go out in the world and just like subdue it and, you know, uh, right. monetize everything, would, you know. And also like, this is all, well, this is very idealist and it's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, doesn't really represent the synthesis, the, uh, you know, the dialectical idea between like epistemology and technology and you know mm -hmm. uh, spirituality and materiality because like you know these genocidal systems and these genocidal ideologies often emerge in tandem you know like the yes. fact that we have to have like this triangle trade of like chattel slavery and for instance like you know the idea of the curse of ham being like proliferated and interpreted as being like oh you know black people they're inferior because of the curse of ham like those things yeah. like before that that wasn't like you know 
like some people maybe made that connection like here and there but it wasn't like nearly as dominant as it became that was a hot take that was that originated later much later yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah. Um, so to say it's like it's it's a code in all semitic uh, it's the universal grammar of all semitic religions even like the babylonian ones you know is kind of a a lot yeah (laughs) and it's just like it's so like typical of this type of thing you know well but thankfully we also had in 1200 bc it's interesting because like it's so ahistorical and stupid to be like, you know, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are all part of the Semitic idea that is, you know, from like 2000 BC. But then more advanced than that is Zoroastrianism from 1200 BC. So Islam, which came about 600 years after Christ, is yeah. like in the same paradigm as, you know, and less advanced than Zoroastrianism, which it completely yes. replaced. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, so, or more... <laughs> and they even sorry, bring up Zoroastrianism. Replaced. Yeah, they even bring yeah, it up, like, positively but, as something that influenced no, yeah, as, Christianity. As base, as base, yeah. uh, he says... Oh, sorry, yeah, uh, he says, uh, human having free will, having to choose between good and evil, and mythology of individual salvation. Uh, and he says this is in all Western cultures in a secular form. And this idea, of course, you know, uh, much like how we need the mother goddess of Baphomet... This uh, idea of good and evil is a basic polarity needing to be dialectically transcended and or synthesized. Uh, But the best, you know, one of the best, you know, one of the greatest, of course, is just these amazing, brilliant Hindus and Buddhists. You know, they have it all figured out. And, uh, you know, the idea (laughs) of a human being being deluded by the Maya and the Buddha representing the absolute fulfillment of the Indian image of man as a yogi released from the will of karma, you know, the intrinsic divinity of humankind realizable through own efforts. Another, like, idea that is totally in Christianity and Islam, the idea that there's, like, a piece of God in humanity, like, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, we're not know, mere beasts. Uh, uh, that, that's definitely not the thrust of, like, the Abrahamic religions, is that we are mere beasts uh, just made out of clay. A mere it's creature like, well, fashioned of yeah, clay. Well, creature. we are mere creatures. We are creatures, and so far yeah, as we create, yeah, I mean we are, yeah. But we have free will. But we have stuff, and we have like a spark. We have like a, a little speck of you know that exactly, divinity yeah, thing we in do. us. Well, of course, because we're God's creation. So yeah, we have yes. exactly God breathed His spirit into us. Yeah, but this the Hindu and Buddhist idea could contribute to a new self-realization ethic for our culture if incorporated into a larger synthesis so that is just awesome and i think that we can really see bearing itself out today like how when a society is organized around the ideas of hinduism like that is just awesome like you know when we have (laughs) like a real emphasis on hinduism like in society and the important ideas of of you know the the enlightened ideas of hinduism that is just great for everyone and like everyone prospers so that they were definitely spot on about that (laughs) Um, um, so yeah, all, then, yeah, just uh, yeah. a society in perfect harmony with no inequalities whatsoever. It's uh, just, you know, they figured it out. So why don't we just get on their level? The caste system based. We should just get on that level, too. I do think that, that, yeah. that I do sense there's a lurking thing in all of these kind of weird hoity-toity academics at places like Stanford and the you know these Ivy Leagues in the 20th century that there's something under the surface of like oh the caste system that's kind of dope like well, you know really, and, and like a like, spiritually you know, the enforced caste system the caste system is like you know does have press like you know does have precedence like it is an idea that actually is like in whatever you want to call it. you know Hinduism is like really like an, an academic construct and the idea of Hinduism today is relatively modern but the caste Mm -hmm. system like as we think of it now just the fact that it's so heavily associated with the english word caste 
is because like it was used as like an administrative organization tactic by mm-hmm. like the British Raj in the colonial mm-hmm. period. Like that, yeah. it, like it was transformed and like bureaucratized and like the way that it is now is different from, you know, it always was around like, you know, people tend to say like, you know, it's a whole thing where people are like, well, you know, everything bad uh, didn't exist before, you know, uh, yeah. colonization, but they definitely like, you know, ran with it. And they're like, we're going to organize, you know, this is how these Hindus think. They love caste, uh, yep. you know, and we're just going to use organized all society. And they've definitely like exacerbated it and like created the, yeah. did a lot to create the caste system as we know it now. So there's definitely which would make that. it, yeah, which would make it, it because it yeah, is, which would make know, it even more yeah. appealing because it, it they yeah. recognize a part of their, their own kind of creation of their class, basically, yeah, in a larger sense exactly. in creating it. And on top of that, I think. It's easy to that it, point. It's always I mean, been appealing. They saw it to yeah. begin with. You know, I'm sure that if you're just like going through like reading Sanskrit documents, you could find a bunch of different ways to understand like, you know, how to rule Indian society. But there's uh-huh. a reason why it's like the caste system, this rules, you know, well, like and, you let's know, do and, this, I, you know. Yeah. I think uh, it, it, it speaks to an interesting tension that runs throughout this entire report that I think they're kind of like to varying degrees of dishonesty trying to grapple with this dialectic between well we have we have this society where in this western society where the dominant images of man uh, are kind of rooted in a sort of like individualism and and a, a sense of self that is like shot through all of our culture our like democratic institutions our economy everything else and when you look over at a place like india you know they say multiple times throughout the report that you know if only we could kind of uh we could import the kind of eastern uh epistemological outlook upon like you know reality and spirituality and all these other things where you know they acknowledge the kind of uh the blurred lines between the provable and like the mystical and things you know the the empirical and the mystical or whatever and you know all these other things so in a way it's almost like huh like we that caste system we helped exacerbate and set up to rule india was pretty damn effective but it worked because they're indians who have certain images of man already that we were able to exploit so in order to do something similar here even though us even writing this report and the funding of it and the entire thing the entire project we're involved in is almost like a class collaborative uh it truly is a supplemental jihad that is ultimately trying to reify and entrench and preserve the system of individual property rights like it really is kind of they they don't want the notion of self in the capitalist context uh, to be overturned by anything. I think that's like the kind of the the the, the subtext of like this entire report is well, that, yeah, but we yeah. don't want to give away like our wealth and our power and like share it, you know, like that's not going to work. Yeah, so that, 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 like, that's unacceptable. Yeah, this, so this part maybe of the we have to change everybody's like extremely. Yeah, the 500 BC age of the polis, which has this Hindu Buddhist thing, you know, it's really telling because they go through like everything, you know, they say China, you know, when they have Confucianism and, uh, you know, they have the idea of a socially concerned sage in these oriental cultures, uh, literally, you Mm -hmm. know, quote unquote, uh, and that could help for an ecological ethic. And they even say, you know, in the Levant, you know, you have the idea of man as a slave and is a submissive to God in the image of a despot. Which is, like, just amazing. Like, it says some forms of Islam. I don't know what that means by some forms of Islam. And Christianity. For one, I do not think that the image of God in Islam is uh, a despot or in Christianity. 
like that no. a despot is a negative term so like yeah. no one who subscribes to either of those beliefs but they say that it's possible to see ecological requirements in this light for one like something that i think that people who actually like know anything about islam and have thought about like you know ecological ideas in islam like they find many for instance what i mentioned the idea that hum humanity is a custodian of the earth and all the injunctions that we have to take care of animals or the world and things like that not to destroy mm -hmm. you know land or, or pillage things like unnecessarily uh yeah you know so i think there's like many you know ideas that could but like the idea that they're like oh you know what could be helpful for uh, ecological requirements the idea that human beings are slaves of a despot <laughs> uh yeah yeah, yeah. exactly well, right. you know, also it also think, lines yeah, up with, right. you know, like, yeah. we don't want to go that other way of collectivism, because then you're just, yes. that's just the old Christian technology with a new face. Like, it's still religious, yeah, uh, and putting all your faith in a despot, an evil mustachio despot, who gets to control your despot. entire life, and you're a bad yes. little pig, and blah, blah, everyone wears gray jumpsuits, yeah, etc. Uh, so, you know, they, they don't want to go in that direction, uh, either in the like revolutionary uh collectivized socialist direction that's atheist or like a more traditional religious western or you know western quote unquote uh or abrahamic kind of um tradition you know they want to find well, yeah more just yeah exactly they don't want to they don't want dirty disgusting vile islam you know they nope. want beautiful uh oriental wisdom you know they want alan watts stuff yeah you know they like do. uh it and in fact, like, you know, they want, uh, they want Gnosticism as well. That's another, like, you know, uh, they want Greek myth, mystery religions. And, yeah. uh, you know, once we get to, uh, 100 AD, that's when we have the two contrary images of man, which is one, which is like, you know, uh, the Semitic and Zoroastrian tradition of being God's servant, uh, obey or be damned. And they spell damned with two M's. So mm. you need to obey God or a, uh, some, yeah, that you won't get to come, I guess. Uh, beaver, <laughs> well, you know, I don't, yeah. I feel like that's a that's yeah. a Freudian slip to quote their favorite, uh, you know. But anyway, uh, so but then there's also yeah. the image of the Gnostics, you know, which is similar to the amazing Greek mystery religions, and that's the idea of the person being saved by self knowledge. So this the the first one that's in all traditional Judeo slash Christian slash Muslim cultures, and then but there's a Gnostic idea, you know, that's in most cultures as an underground view. Um, and the first one, you know, that's that's a dominant image and it needs to be incorporated into a larger synthesis. It needs to be like, obviously, we prefer maybe it weren't, but it has to be. And then, you know, thankfully, we need a new self-realization ethic from these Gnostic ideas of God being an evil demiurge and Satan being good. Uh, that is an underground view uh, and is so helpful. But yeah, mm -hmm. so in terms of the image of man that we need to deal with today, that's when we get to the only other thing in history that has been like a not useful or bad image of man which is the industrial revolution slash enlightenment idea, which I think that, you know, is, tr is they're right about this. This is the one thing that I find to be like generally kind of true. Uh, the idea of the mm -hmm. economic man, individualistic, materialistic, rationalistic, objective knowledge, utilitarian slash economic values coming into dominance. You know, this is in most modern industrial nations, likely inappropriate for transition to post-industrial era. So this is inappropriate. It's likely inappropriate. Probably this is not going to be helpful. You know, mm -hmm. they won't mention the term capitalism, but, you know, no. uh, that's obviously part of that. Anyway, but yeah, then there are some other ideas that are, are okay, kind of. Like, modern social science has the idea of human as a beast with instinctual drives being predominant and a creature of evolution whose survival depends on competitive adaptation and or suppression of base instincts. And that's, you know, active in most modern industrial nations. 
and this image needs to be incorporated into a larger synthesis. So I guess we do need that idea of like human beings as being like Pavlovian monsters who are beasts, mm -hmm. but it needs to be incorporated. Uh, or yeah. maybe it's just an image that is, is dominant, so we need to incorporate it. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, then we have the human as mechanism, and then that's popular in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it can be promoted as providing the most appropriate basis for man's next era, perhaps now itself needing to be incorporated into larger synthesis. So I guess maybe at one time it was. Uh, then it, we mm. have human as goal-directed adaptive learning system. Uh, that's coming in in 1945 AD. And this image, you know, the idea of a human as an adaptive learning system, which just sounds so great, uh, you know, that hasn't reached a takeoff point, but that provides a possible conceptual basis for integrating most other images of man as an evolutionary frame of reference. So basically we need to, rev that's a good takeoff point to say like, oh, these other images have been like programs that are plugged into the wet CPU of the adaptive learning system. And, yeah. you know, if we have the overarching image of, like, the adaptive learning system, then that can r reconcile and synthesize all this stuff. But mm -hmm. then, of course, the greatest thing, you know, that we also need is the idea of human as spirit. The philosophia perennis, which I, mm -hmm. I just, like, is just such a fucking annoying thing. Like the, They're uh, the all about that, philosophy. the perennial philosophy. It, yeah, and it's so wishy-washy and lame and awful. Like, I get it. Like, you know, perennialism, like, really, like, you know, the idea that there is something <laughs> to all religions, like, you know, that's yeah. an Islamic idea. Like, you know, Jesus had a book, you know, Moses had a book. Like, the idea, yeah. like, you know, there's prophets, Buddha, perhaps prophet, you know, maybe even Krishna. But, you know, yeah. so there's, like, uh, an idea there's something to, like, these things. Like, that's the basic principle of it. But, like, the way that it's actually applied, like, by perennialists, you know, for the most part, often, you know, I'm not going to just uh write them all off you know that maybe there's some that do interesting work but a lot of, it's just so wishy-washy and like generalized and in this case i feel like just instrumentalized where it's just like you know mm -hmm. take cafeteria you know like take what yeah it is cafeteria build yeah. a new religion um, uh mod it out yes. like it's very cyber yeah with the adaptive um, just... learning system yes yeah. and uh yeah so we need to yeah, that's in most cultures, but, you know, only in various degrees of purity. So some cultures, I guess probably the, you know, the pure noble savages maybe have it more pure, like uh, the amazing Hindus. But I don't know, like uh, they maybe have it more purely. But yeah, uh, they this is good because this could contribute to a needed synthesis of opposing images as it sees apparent opposites as differing aspects of the same underlying reality. Well, like that's, yeah, a very, extremely very common idea. Uh, that, you know, As Idris Shah would like, say, like, you know, a bunch of blind monks uh, were groping on a yeah. creature and they described it differently and it was an elephant and, you know, they yeah, exactly. we're all just touching different yeah. parts of the elephant. Yeah, it's like we've been yeah. here, ain't nothing new under the sun, we've been here before, this is all just like, yes, you know, exactly. theological so dialectics. That's basically, uh, <laughs> that's basically the whole, like, historical anthropology that's being brought out here. Like, we've had all these different images of man. Right now we have this one that's kind of like, you know, a combination of like disgusting uh, Nazarene scum and yep. uh, also <laughs> like filthy Muslims, you know, uh, uh -huh. and I guess Jews, any like Semites, you know, these Semite yeah. ideas and also genocidal industrial uh, capitalism. Uh, and we need yeah, to fix that by like, and that's leading to a disaster. So we need to fix yep. that by going to, like, oriental wisdom, 
as filtered through like the dumbest people alive a and like, incorporated into a new and, like, a, a new matrix of, of shit yeah yes. exactly yeah there's like, a lot of mm-hmm. many references in this to us being a sloppy disk wet cpu again and again they, yeah. they reference john c Lilly and other people um but the other thing that that jumps out uh as you were saying all that stuff is it's kind of implicit in this entire thing that they are as we've talked about before with uh, some of these you know research universities like MIT studying Maoism as like a social technology and even Mao himself studying the techniques of Christian missionaries in China and kind of picking up some things from them they are kind of inherently looking at religion as an instrumentalized technology and being like, yes. hmm, like what combination of things could we put together? But they're also, they're not quite admitting fully that that's what they're doing. They're like, no, 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 we need to get outside of this bounded epistemological framework of like the Abrahamic, you know, Western religions and dive into this like sublime. But they're really just talking about stripping like Hinduism for parts and finding things like yoga or meditation that could be like kind of plugged yes. in as a part of. And they're also talking about kind of like their hypothesizing how to kind of rebuild the next generation of the spectacle that like Gita board kind of yeah. talked about a little bit like they, cause that's really, you know, this is about the, the, the commonly shared images of men that like mediate everything. They don't really get so much into like the Debordian stuff about, you know, alienation and all that stuff. Cause they, they're very conscious that that four letter, four letter word marks never comes up. I think once in this entire report, even though they talk about dialectics and stuff like that, but yes. you know, they're, like they're kind of, yeah, much, yeah. much more Hegelian, you know, much more Hegelian yes. like idea type, uh yeah stuff yeah but um, you see it's like with idris yeah. shah and with everybody else like they're basically like doing the cafeteria thing where they're like plucking certain practices and ideas and then being like let's yes. like work some of these in and then we can kind of socially condition people and they have a variety of ways of proposing how to do that that you know, ver- yeah. you know go from They're- more soft to more proactive let's say but you know eventually they want to create a new compatible uh, commonly held image of man in the United States and the Western countries that will help us move past this industrial era, which they felt was like hitting its limits. And, you know, this was during the 70s. So if we want to think about global strategy, this is like kind of just before I think like Nixon and Mao had their meeting and we opened up relations with China and, you know, we were still going through Vietnam. We were start just starting the kind of deindustrialization kind of process of the American industrial economy so it's interesting they're bringing this up now it's like oh like oh we have to move away from this but they already kind of it's almost like you know the the heads of these major corporations were kind of itching to move beyond it because the profitability was falling after like you know we had this special period of growth for about 25 30 years after world war ii where we were like the undisputed industrial hegemon of the world but then people kind of started to catch up to us and you know with the constraints of like the gold standard and stuff like that you know we were hitting some like weird structural issues and it looked like oh we were unable to win in Vietnam, uh, socialism keeps kind of spreading throughout the third world and like national liberation movements. There's even, you know, I think it was probably too early to see that like political Islam would blow up into another major force. So it like kind of reemphasize the role of like spiritual belief and religion and kind of social, mm-hmm. you know, activities and conflict. Yeah, true. 
you know, so it, but it's like they were thinking and, you know, it says right in the beginning, uh, if you're wondering, like, kind of who funded this, uh, they say it right up front that about the same time that they were setting up the uh, the kind of uh, educational policy research centers, the EPRCs, uh, one of which was at uh, SRI, and they were kind of, they took like an open-ended approach to like possible futures. And they said about the same time, the Charles F. Kettering Foundation was looking for, quote, high leverage ideas, possibly risky approaches to social policy research and development in which a relatively small amount of support might, if successful, lead to a beneficial effect on society that is relatively relatively large. So, you know, they wanted to, they, they the, you know, the, the Charles Kettering Foundation, he had believed was the head kind of technology guy at General Motors for 20 or 25 years, you know, a very uh, big inventor and uh, yeah, intimately associated with both DuPont and uh, General Motors. So, you know, what did, Char what did the Charles F. Kettering Foundation want? out of this study mm -hmm. you know i think they wanted yeah. to map out like well let's take like a very large and maybe kind of a little woo woo but like inclusive view of like how could we move towards a kind of post-industrial society and you can see the way they're talking this is also when the club of rome was starting and that kind of overpopulation hype really just like exploded in the early 70s and you had people like governor jerry brown talking about how this is like the era of limits and that growth was actually kind of suicidal and that, you know, which is kind of a convenient thing if you think of this is when the companies start offshoring their jobs to like Asia or Mexico or whatever that, you know, that ever like suddenly it's like, oh, it's kind of like today where if they want certain businesses to like go under or be replaced by other businesses, they'd be like, well, this business is bad for climate change. It, it has no future. It needs to go away. That kind of thing. You know, it's yeah. like a convenient well, argument. And so. Right. And it's also like, you know, again, like I think that for, there's a great sentence that they have here about like, you know, they say uh, on, again, towards the end, uh, you know, there must be a new economics, if not steady state in a strict sense, at least compatible with the constraints of the new scarcity. An economic theory and practice always implies a psychology or more particularly a set of assumptions about human motivation. If motivations change because the basic picture of man on earth and man in the cosmos has altered, then economics must change. If the old economics required steady material growth as a necessary condition for a healthy economy, it does not follow that the new economics will likewise. Similarly, the definitions of good corporate behavior and good business policy depend upon tacit social agreements about the bases for legitimation and change when those bases change. It may seem wildly utopian in 1974 to think of the multinational corporations as potentially among our most effective mechanisms for husbanding the Earth's resources and optimizing their use for human benefits. Uh, the current popular <laughs> image of the corporation tends to be more that of the spoiler and the exploiter. But the power of legitimation is strong, as discussed in Chapter 7, and the concept is growing that business must derive its just powers from the consent of those affected by its actions. The vision of a workable future must include a resolution of the present unsatisfactory situation where what is apparently sound business practice and good economics is often very unwise when viewed in light of the new scarcity. So... Like, again, oh, wow. that's, a t pa that's a paragraph where, like, you know, if I'm, like, a CEO or whatever, I can just, uh -huh. like, you know, again, like, take 
totally what I want from that, which is like, okay, like yeah. I need to legitimize myself in the eyes of like the people. We're headed towards a new scarcity. Like, uh-huh. you know, it's, yeah. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, are you just incredibly naive and dumb? Are you kind of winking? Like you can't yeah. really say, but like either way, it's like, it inc- sounds like, like they're implicitly saying we need to psyop everybody on a, like a long-term basis with corporate propaganda to convince everybody that we're actually super progressive and responsible and like careful stewards of the earth, which is literally, I would say at least half it of commercials exactly today. exactly like shareholder capital, like the idea is yes. stakeholder capitalism. Inclusive, stakeholder, inclusive right. stakeholder. This yeah. is Klaus Schwab's like great reset kind of thinking like in its protean form. This really is exactly the great reset thing because it's talking about the necessity of the great re- of a great reset. It is yes. the same idea, basically, that there needs yeah, to be Yeah, and, and just reset. like the Great Reset, it's yeah. using this euphemistic language, which, if you're kind of naive or not paying close enough attention, can almost sound like a form of, you know, at least, you know, capitalism with a human face, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or, you know, a more a, a step towards a better social contract or something. But you notice, like, with both the Great Reset and this study that, you know, they dance so carefully around kind of ideas of collectivism or redistribution of wealth. They almost never bring up even the, they don't even like bring it up, like set it up to knock it down. The idea that like, oh, maybe we should like not radically. It's also before the 80s when the the distribution of wealth started really going back to the way it was before the New Deal and it hasn't stopped since. But, you know, it's, a, it's at a point where actually, relatively speaking, income inequality was a historical low in the United States in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, it was before all the unions kind of got busted up and all the jobs got offshored and stuff. So you think even then, I don't like, I don't know, maybe they just thought that had, enough wealth has been redistributed, you know, and there weren't like Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates yet uh, that were collecting all this money for what i don't know but you can see that they just don't want to get into any kind of a thorny issue of you know because they're trying to be so bold and epistemologically liberated and you know call out all these other disciplines for thinking too narrowly or thinking in an old paradigm but then they they just like can't even they don't want to open that pandora's box when it comes to like well what about like the marxian counter narrative about the way society should be organized they, all they really say is that well they list a bunch of problems with like advanced industrial society and say oh by the way this also applies to advanced collectivist industrial society so the form of government actually doesn't really matter these are just about symptoms of this system of economic organization which is kind of like yeah i read that as a little bit of a a a subtweet of like and we could use this against them this isn't just for our own benefit like we're because they just listed a bunch of vulnerabilities of a system that undergoes a kind of um epistemological crisis where people stop believing in kind of the forward progress that they're supposed to be on and like really maybe we'll get to that quote later but it sounds a lot like what actually ended up happening in the soviet union in the late 1980s and like in the communist bloc like a kind of um they actually compare you know uh, like a, a a crisis can kind of take the form of like a psychotic break almost in a freudian sense it's very reductive mm-hmm. but you can kind of see like the things they list of like the irrationality or like the breakdown of like commonly held norms and like uh, confused the things of like you know authority becoming uh at, you know just all these kind of things but anyways i think you know it, it's very sus like like they're basically, you know, to every billionaire or, you know, uh, so, someone sitting on the corporate board of like 
10 different, you know, commanding heights corporations. This is a very handy report, just like Mind War would be for like military planners, you know, and you can kind of read between the lines a little bit and uh, and probably get some good things because I don't know why did why did the Kettering Foundation, you know, sponsor this high leverage report? You know, I mean, that's kind of funny. High leverage ideas, possibly risky approaches to social policy research and development in which a relatively small amount of support might, if successful, lead to a beneficial effect on society that is relatively large. And I would say, arguably, maybe they succeeded at that because it wasn't very expensive to do this study. And it seems to have seeped into the groundwater of what was happening at Silicon Valley. And, you know, this is the same place that developed computer networked computer technology, and was like, you know, one of the yeah. first places using ARPANET and the internet. And they invented the mouse interface and the graphical user interface and put Cookie Monster on it as a psyop, you know, to convince little kids that <laughs> computers were cute and cuddly and, you know, and, and like enhanced cathexis. So, like, this is like, the, these are the cathexis mind controllers themselves, like the same institution writing about, oh, we should just like start mishmashing our myths and maybe uh, dabbling a little bit in some eastern religious practices and then uh like kind of steer yeah. people away like kind of getting out in well, front of the fact about, that like, at a certain point you know let's use what we can you know what are the resources that we can exploit it's very much that idris shah uh type of thing where it's like oh we're gonna pick and choose i think that someone even in the there are some great notes uh you know of course they're part of the report so people can like take them into account but there are some great notes of people just being like this is like so dumb and ridiculous and like there's one that's like amazing like there's one guy who i think you know is kind of like a sus like futurist guy himself like michael marion who has mm-hmm. like some amazing uh you know critiques uh in the margins where he'll be like uh i think you're being a little bit too optimistic about humanistic capitalism uh you know have you ever heard of like co-optation before you know like literally he's like have you heard of co-optation like the um, band of fucking merry pranksters that wrote this uh have no no idea about co-optation they've never heard of it never seen it with their own eyes never participated Uh, in it i'm sure yeah there's another note that someone uh made that was like there's you know an assumption that we will like use what we want from the east you know and Mm -hmm. that's uh you know this is all like very like focused on the United States and and on America uh but it's like you know there's some amazing like very Shah type like mentions of Sufism in here that come up mm-hmm. like there's yeah. one that you even uh took a note on because it was probably the most ridiculous uh one ever and it's again about like their love of Gnosticism uh where yeah. they're saying you know this tension between the Gnostic understanding of apocalyptic symbolism and that of the early church which condemned it as heretical is the essence of what is sometimes called the quote judeo-christian problem i wonder like hmm. by who like some people are saying yeah uh anyway uh is the Anton LaVey? Uh, yeah is <laughs> david it a messiah to come yeah exactly this is so david Myatty at like various it points is. you know but like uh <laughs> Is an apocalyptic messiah to come, or come again, and thus grandly save the elect from evil? Or is the, quote, kingdom of the Father already here within us, within ourselves and our world, as is, quote, Buddha consciousness and the mother light, only waiting to be recognized and fulfilled? Like, again, like, just the laziest thing. But anyway, so uh, they, they then uh, do a little... Uh, a little reference here. The conundrum was also inherited by Islam and supplied the whole sense of the contention between 
the this is like when I say that I hate the word mystic, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the contention between the Sufis of the mystic way and the Orthodox Sunnah of the law, which like you know I think is really like a parallelism error <laughs> because the they're talking about the Sunnah like as a group of people like Sufis is being related to Sunnah and they're called you know the Al Sunnah or Sunnis like generally is what you would say, but. Of course, shouldn't it be like Sufis the mystic way of the Su- of no, the Sufis and the uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the Orthodox Sunnis of the law would be the a correct grammatical parallelism, but it would be incredibly stupid from like the point of view of knowing anything about Islam. Like the like most Sufis are Sunni, and no Sufi would say they don't follow the Sunnah. Like no, mm-hmm. like not even like a Shia. Sufi would say that. We had a whole episode about Rumi. You know, Rumi, he was a Hanafi Mufti. You know, he was the the m- Mufti of, I think, Kanya. But mm-hmm. a- anyway, you know, he was like a trained legal scholar. Like, there's no... It's a very just stupid Idris yeah. Shah, Alan Watts type stuff. Like, typical thing. <laughs> uh-huh. where it's like, we're going to use this, like, you know, s- stupid thing. But there's a lot of, like, gibberish in here that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk like, about. Reads uh, Rumi once. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That last paragraph, yeah, I don't reads, know if you referenced it like, earlier, but it also, it, it brings to mind something that they do reference in a sus way a few times uh, when they're talking, right after they, they said that great sentence, they said, because the Gnostic path was condemned as heretical, of necessity, it went underground, and hence its influence on our culture is much less visible than are the effects of the orthodox views. It and views like it, however, have been kept alive by secret societies such as the Sufis, Freemasons, and Rosicrucians, whose influence on the founding of the United States is attested to by the symbolism of the Great Seal of the United States on the back of the dollar bill. The Semitic Zoroastrian yes. Orthodox Christian image, meanwhile, came into <laughs> dominance so in da- Western that's, Europe. That's what's so David Mayer. Yeah, when no, no, like, wait, but wait, no, they, they, they drop, yeah. yeah like, but no, yeah, they, yeah, drop, okay, they okay, drop the okay, wall up okay. at the end. This image of the human as separate laid the groundwork for the industrial revolution to come so boom there you go folks that's that's how the industrial revolution happened uh but there's so much with that also just mixing alive that like the the views of gnosticism have been kept alive by secret societies i don't know if these people know something about secret societies such as the sufis freemasons and rosicrucians whose influence on the founding of the united states is attested to by the symbolism of the great seal i'm I, i'm pretty sure I that they're talking about freemasons yeah, I, well, I can only assume that this, like, that's literally Idris Shahism because they are saying, yeah. like, you know, the Sufis, like, the idea of the Sufis being connected with Freemasons is, uh-huh. like, you know, uh, an Idris Shah thing. The idea of the Sufis being a secret society is, like, su- like such, like, you know, a Gardnerian secret society is so, like, like, like what? Where'd you get that from? Only one yeah. possible place, really, which is, like, that whole network of, like, ideas. Probably Idris Shah, who was hanging around at Stanford the, during yeah. these years. I can yeah. only assume, yeah, I can only assume, like, uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and, like, the idea that it was the flame of Gnosticism was carried, like, through, you know, uh, to glorious, you know, Rosicrucianism. Like, it's amazing that they really do continually say in this like they continually point to theosophy rosicrucianism yep. freemasonry and literally scientology as yeah. being like you know great things that like we need to look to uh to organize like the future transformation of humanity <laughs> like right it's just, yeah like, really, it's very like, awesome. interesting yeah. they, do, they do mention the occult kind of in general they never talk about the they oto do, yeah. or anything like that but you know it's but just the, the structure of that sentence because now i'm realizing you know the 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 conundrum inherited by islam sentence is formatted in a very vague like sloppy way uh that doesn't make sense but so is the thing like 
and Rosicrucians, whose influence on the founding of the United States is attested to by the symbolism of the Great Seal on the dollar bill. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like that must be kind of a poorly written sentence that they're not saying that the Rosicrucians were instrumental in the founding of the United States or well, am I wrong? You know, it, and might, it might be another Freudian slip. And what they're saying is that because this is the Idris Shah idea that these things are actually the same. That okay, like, yeah, I guess what, I guess like, you know if I'm gonna read I I'm I guess I'm if you know maybe it would have been more uh, 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 clear if they had put it in parentheses like such as the Sufis, Freemasons, and Rosicrucians. I think what they mean is that secret societies yeah, secret that kept societies. Gnosticism alive yeah. had a great influence on the founding of the U.S. and it's attested to by the Great Seal on the back of the dollar bill. Now I think most people would attribute that to the Freemasonic secret societies that people like George Washington and all these other guys were yeah, in. Yeah, and of course, but, like, Freemasons hated the Industrial Revolution and fought against it tooth and nail. As we know, you know, because of their Gnostic beliefs in the man as being a spirit, they were really anti-capitalism and industrial society. Like, all the founding fathers of the United States, they were very spiritual, enlightened people because of, they were, because of their Freemasonic beliefs, and they were not about the industrial revolution at all okay Uh, so you're being yeah yeah, you're being a little uh sarcastic there yes i'm being sarcastic because that's (laughs) what they say you know they say yeah semitic zoroastrian orthodox christian image came to dominance in western europe and the image as the human as separate laid the groundwork for the industrial revolution to come but yeah they're saying that's very weird yeah they're trying to have it both ways like which one is it did the, the did the ideology of the Nazarene scum uh, create industrial capitalism, or did it, the like the flame keepers of the Gnostic wisdom, the Freemasons, actually bring it into being? No, uh, they by didn't. Founding they the, didn't. United States? the United States, the United States was has the secret societies, like you know, because that's what they say about Freemasonry. They go on to say that like we could use the Freemasonic uh, eye, you know, or like these principles, like as a new part image of this transformation. Yeah, exactly. To create is that why uh, is that why the music videos? Oh my god! Oh yeah, maybe. it's all a part of like uh, like laying the the the, the ground the symbolic groundwork. It is kind yeah, of like they actually, it's a little more yeah, subtle than Revelation of the yeah, Method, this, but it's like seeding these images. Yeah. Uh, in a, I thought this in a, was. Yeah, I thought this was like in the same part, but it actually, yeah, it's like a little bit later. It says, chapter six describes some characteristics of, quote, the image of man, which is at once compatible with the emergent perennial philosophy and is well adapted for dealing with humankind's contemporary dilemmas. Of special interest to the Western world is that free masonry tradition, which plays such a significant role in the birth of the United States of America, as attested to by the symbolism of the Great Seal on the back of the dollar bill. And they have like yeah, a picture it. of it here. They put a picture uh, of yeah, it. Yeah, in this <laughs> yeah in this version of the transcendental image, the central emphasis is on the role of creative work in the life of the individual. In true Freemasonry, there is one lodge, the universe, and one brotherhood, everything that exists. Each person has the privilege of labor of joining with the great architect in building more noble structures and thus serving in the divine plan. Thus, this version of the new transcendentalism, perhaps more than other versions imported from the East more recently, has the potentiality of reactivating the American symbols, interpreting the work ethic, sorry, reinterpreting the work ethic, supporting the basic concepts of a free enterprise democratic society, Uh. and providing new meanings to the technological industrial thrust. At the same time, it is compatible with other versions more indigenous to other parts of the globe. So, yeah, this is like... Yeah, just like uh, they, uh, all the secret societies need to get together and start plotting to basically. Well, uh, you, know, you know, because this is the same secret occult tradition that like spans the whole world. You know, the witch cult of Baphomet. You know, like literally, <laughs> like I'm it not really even is. kidding. 
Like, yeah, no, literally. Yeah. Like, you know, like, the guy who edited this is, like, extremely sus. Like, uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, just, like, in terms of, like, the beliefs of his and the ideas that he likes that bleed through. Is it really a great architect or a great archon that he's referring to? Hmm? Yaldabaoth, maybe? Mm, um, well, yeah, hmm. well, no, uh, yeah, I guess the great, the Sawclass is the Nazarene yeah. scum, <laughs> you know, god, that we need to, yeah. I thought um, we had to, wait, I forgot, didn't we have to be afraid of Sawclass? Yeah, well, Sawclass is the Nazarene scum god that, like, is the impersonator. He is. Oh, you're god. right, yeah, because it's flipped in Gnosticism where, like, Satan is, like, a, a helpful demigod, is that it, or... He's or like good it, yeah well yeah. he maybe it depends it depends on the on the gnostic like teaching or the gnostic That's idea true. but a lot of the time like eating the apple like you know uh somehow you know it was good to eat the apple whether because satan was good or maybe because satan was tricked in some way or maybe satan and the serpent aren't the same or and basically you know, jehovah is, is like catfishing as the yeah, one true like, god. When he says, yeah, there is no god other than me, he's saying, yeah, exactly, he's lying. Uh, Jehovah lied. Um, yeah, Jehovah lied. Yeah, Jehovah yeah. lied, yes. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, cool. that's the uh, idea that God is an evil archon, Satan is good, etc. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and we uh-huh. all have to follow the perennial wisdom and be down with Freemasonry. I don't know. Like, you know, but, like, for one, like, I feel like Freemasonry... It, and Rosicrucianism isn't really Gnostic, but they do, it is, like, this kind of thing of, like, the whole tradition, like, it's a David Myatt thing where it's, like, yeah, you know, the Order of the Nine Angles goes back to, like, you know, ancient pagan times, like, it's been yeah. unchanged, you know, like, the the perennial tradition, you know, so, like, but of <sighs> course, the, I like, mean, I know, guess they're kind, of, they're kind of kind of t- talking about, like, a parental counter tradition in a way. At least in the yeah, Western exactly. context. Yeah, it's an ant, yeah, 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 right. It is a perennial, ca- a perennial yeah, occult tradition. Uh, a counterculture, yeah. if you will. Um, the original yes, counterculture. Exactly. Hmm. Countering who? Yeah, and Allah? that Maybe. and that has to become yeah, countering a lot, and that has to become <laughs> the main the main new image, so that we yes. can yeah. And it's really fun. Yeah, it's amazing that like, you know, they've kind of have identified like capitalism as like the problem of well, they didn't identify it because identifying something is naming it, but yeah. you know they. Uh, <laughs> They kind of, like, you know, have, like, a point, like, you know, they get, they're getting at something, like, but they really, like, go into the weeds where it's, like, the real problem is, like, that people believe in, like, monotheistic religions, and, like, they're not down enough with Freemasonry, and that's what needs to change. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, yeah like, cool, um, uh, yeah, yeah, right, like, right thank on, you. Yeah. yeah, get to work, everybody. Come gather at people wherever you roam, admit that the waters around you have grown. Except it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone All the times they are a-changing Come writers and critics and prophesize with your pen Keep your eyes open, the chance won't come again and watch what you say for the wheels turn and spin There's no telling who that it's naming For the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Did you want to zero in maybe on some kind of discussions of like uh, totalitarian dystopia? 
that yeah, pop up in this? Yeah, I think that actually this, yeah, we were just looking at the uh, part of where this kind of comes in, or some discussions of, like, yeah, totalitarianism, or, like, the authoritarian possibilities that, like, you know, we want to, like, quote-unquote avoid, or, totally you know, like, uh, yeah. that, like, we're just going to spend a lot of time talking about, but, yeah, like, mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, this is actually an interesting part that you were pointing to, like, beforehand, where it's talking about, yeah, dystopian images of uh, humankind, you know, the idea that if the future is portrayed in primarily dystopian terms, a dystopian image of humankind will prevail in the collective unconscious of the culture, and then they quote Margaret Mead, uh, basically, like, she says, uh, all visions of heaven in this world and in the next have a curious, tasteless, pale blue and pink quality. I mean, this is something that I've heard. I really don't feel that that's true, for instance, in, like, the Quran, that, like, the visions of heaven are, like, stale and tasteless. Sure, but sure. At all, but, like, uh, you know, I have Maybe in the corny say, like, well, popular know, if consciousness. If perfect, if everything's perfect, you know, everything would be boring, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, like, something that people say, like, any picture of heaven above or heaven on earth... The pictures of hell and destruction stand out in vivid and compelling intensity, each detail strong enough to grip the imagination as the horrid creations of a Wells, an Orwell, or an Aldous Huxley uh, unroll before our horrified eyes. Where positive utopias are insipid and a detailed heaven is unbearable to think of as a permanent abode, All right, uh, the creators of terror have no such problem. So if utopian visions are the stuff by which men live, it would seem a legitimate subject of inquiry to ask, what is the matter with them? Why is hell always so much more vivid than heaven? And, you know, Aldous Huxley, uh, they quote him after that. Uh, or, as Aldous Huxley once observed, a dualistic perception of God may be bad metaphysics, but it makes good art. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess yes. we could, yeah, if we asked Don Henley, uh, I guess you're right. Like, uh, hell is uh, can be more interesting than uh, talking about heaven, but maybe that's because we live in a satanic society. Uh, so uh. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like hell, it's more uh, maybe provocative or it's more gripping because it's it's horrible in like a car accident way where like it's more uh, dramatic you know, people it's more yeah, exactly. it has more drama to it. It isn't you know, they say this is what they their take on this or the writers. These observations seem perfectly valid insofar as they apply to static conceptions of utopias or to static metaphysical views. But there appear to be no necessary limitations on artistic creativity to portray the excitement of constructive, positive images of continuing human evolution, and in that sense to be able to create a vision of more, quote, more vivid utopias. So this to me is interesting. They say these insights suggest that the most important component of planning is based not on the realm of the rational, but rather in those realms of consciousness that lie beyond the rational. This is interesting mm-hmm. to me because, you know, Margaret Mead actually has a little, there's a little asterisk where Margaret Mead has her own comment on the quote of her that was used where she says mm-hmm. that, you know, like so many quotes, the real point, the imagination of children is omitted. And that to <laughs> me is interesting because, you know, Joseph Campbell, big influence on this book, probably the most... One of the most lasting influences of Joseph Campbell, in addition to, like, you know, uh, in ninth grade English class or whatever, is in Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. That's <laughs> yeah. what everyone, yeah, knows him from, is that mm-hmm. his monomyth was a blueprint in many ways for Star Wars. Yep. And this, the idea of a evolving utopia based on, like, human development and evolution... Uh, that is, that does make me think about, like, Disney and, particularly like, Marvel and superheroes. Yes. Yeah. 
No, like I, I think all, I like, think the entire MCU runs absolutely on a Joseph Campbell monomyth frame, like a structure. More, every single movie. More than that, it's a positive utopia that's not static, where there is a mm. certain dualism, where there's baddies and goodies, yeah. you know. Uh, but like things don't like at the end of the day, the goodies win, you know, and things just keep ultimately getting better and better, and human yeah. beings more and more special people like emerge and uh you know people become more and more powerful and more and more advanced really often in the exact terms you know again like this is something that we harp on a lot the like concept of evolution and the conceptual importance of evolution that's hit on so much in this like the way that this is framed is evolution it's all about evolution how to deal with you know this idea but that is really often an explicit idea in this stuff like in x-men you know, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know. I guess it's not. Spidey isn't really the same. Where like X Men are explicitly, they're be, explicitly. You know, they're evolved. Um, yeah, X, they're, they're like the explicitly <laughs> mutants yeah. that are a new like phase of human evolution, right? Yeah. And you know, Spidey mm-hmm. was bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, you could go all into the symbology there, but. You know, there's still that kind of idea. Well, uh, yeah, so many superheroes are created you know, by like atomic like age. Elon Musk, you know, yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah, military industrial Four. complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were traveling into space, like you know, they were, and they entered. You know, they got hit by gamma rays from Sokolos or one of the Archons or something, and that turned them into you know super beings. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that you know she mentioned like the imagination of children because. We have seen that borne out so much. And Joseph Campbell's, like, one actual note that I saw, like, his actual, like, his actual words in the Mm -hmm. book, like, one of the few things that he says is, like, you know, we need to focus, I wish that the study focused more about on art, not just as, like, a depiction, but as something that has the power to... Oh, yeah, yeah. I I wrote that down because it it really jumped out at me, that uh, that Joseph Campbell quote. Let me see if I wrote down the actual thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I wrote, no, like Darth Vader at the end of it. Um, Because it's so prophetic. Yeah, Yeah, the only thing I miss in the document is a recognition of the possible role of the arts, not simply as agents, quote, depicting a positive future, but as openers of the way to delight and a sense of fulfillment, not in some future, but now. I don't recall that we ever talked about the arts except in terms of the history of art, their role in the enrichment and harmonization of life, and the part that they might play in this role in the enrichment and harmonization of life, or sorry, I I repeated that, uh, in structuring of any future civilization is a topic, I think, that could be given consideration. And then like three years later, Star Wars came out. So uh, draw your own conclusions. Uh, But wow, somebody discovered Mm -hmm. the applicability of art as a way to harmonize life and, you know, basically... Uh, like, Star I mean, Wars that, also yeah. similar po- like you know yeah there's obviously a dualism to it you know where there's goodies and baddies but ultimately like and yeah they there's a dark side and a light side of the force you know yep, and yep. Uh, the Very you know, but ultimately yeah and but ultimately things get better and like human beings like advance well, further uh, you know I, I mean I guess now that I think about it and I, I can't even remember what the plot of like the final movie of the new trilogy was <laughs> basically uh, it yeah. was incredibly stupid but it, the the interesting thing that I think even some Star Wars heads uh, you know fanboys got pretty mad about in kind of the new series was kind of just erasing it did feel at least at the end of the original trilogy that 
that monomyth thing like arc had been achieved that they had achieved a qualitative advancement in the galactic civilization in you know luke skywalker and all his friends were you know successful and he had mastered the force he was a jedi and you know he even resolved like his daddy issues and things like that and but then the new series was like oh jk like the baddies are back and like in the preceding 20 years uh like all the gains were lost and so we're gonna have to do this cycle all over again which i don't know if that's not necessarily maybe if that's in perfect alignment with joseph campbell the kind of like there's an like we're always going forward but we're never done yes you know well there are things that are like kind of all over the place yeah but like the yeah there are things that were all over the place about that you know i feel like uh you could get into the nitty-gritty of it but you know more and more people like will gain the force you know and the baddies like they may return but they will always be defeated and like their defeat does like cause progress you know like uh they like more jedi like will emerge you know or something you know like yeah i mean really they kind of tell like similar stories but i think that you know, it's a, that basically is a franchisization. I don't know what the future is. We had to do like a, a full sus Star Wars episode because there's really so much mm-hmm. susness and so much like occult, like dark crystal type shit like going yeah. on in, uh, you know, like Seth material stuff going on in uh, Star Wars, you know, that really uh, is relevant here. I mean, something that sticks out to me from the final movie that I really thought had like, you know, just really slapped you in the face with like the way that this all pivots on the symbology is that at the end of the movie spoiler alert for like the worst movie i've ever wasted my time seeing so yeah. like uh you know in the very very end like of course uh palpatine uh you know the emperor comes back he's been cloned uh or cloned himself or something um you know and uh he's zapping um ray with electricity and yeah. ray grabs the lightsaber from adam driver and uh she takes both of them and then she like makes a cross shape like with these two lightsabers and you know as the lightning is like crackling around you know and it makes no sense because i feel like there's something like you know he's channeled like all the powers of the dark side or whatever or like Uh he's this mighty mighty something like that like you know at the moment i was like this the only reason why, like, that this has any sense is, like, a symbolic sense, because she's making the shape of the cross, the yeah. symbol of, like, this dialectical synthesis. That's uh-huh. the only way that, like, there's no rational reason why taking two swords and crossing them would allow you to, like, just kill this guy now. Like, Yeah, you like, know, shoot back uh, the electricity at him. That's never yeah, been established like, in that Star Wars just movie. Just because you have... Just because you have two now. Like, you know, <laughs> one of them is, like, worthless, but, like, having two, like, just owns him completely. Like, like could it makes General Grievous no sense. have, like, beaten the Emperor in hand-to-hand combat? General you know, Grievous could have destroyed like anyone because he had four, so he could have made his whole swastika yeah. out of them. And, like, no, but you're right. It's, really... like, they, it's that's clearly a reference which is not actually, like, kind of native to the Star Wars universe. It's clearly a reference that we will subliminally pick up on, that it's the cross fighting the satanic lightning you know grotto leader who's the embodiment of all evil and it's still even kind of gnostic because she's the granddaughter of of like kind of the devil himself and all these things yeah it is not and of course you know the symbolism of the cross as you know uh, like in renee guaynon's book uh by that title is much broader you know in this kind of conception of like the sort of a 
new agey jim henson J- joseph campbell george lucas conception of this stuff that will influence star wars you know this cross is much broader than just christianity you know the cross sure. represents like the fusion of you know if you take an x mm, and you a rosy just, like, cross. draw yeah exactly a rosy cross if you take an x and like you draw like a line around the points and then bring it you know to one you can you know, like you know that's the basis of like a yin yang and everything like the and the, the swastika idea of, like this dial yeah the cairo you know also mm-hmm. yeah exactly swastika a swastika yeah which is uh, of course is him a hindu symbol for peace but anyway yeah so that is a digression but where they go from here is also pretty relevant because they go on from that point to talk about how you know like i said you know the most important component of planning is based not on the rational but you know realms of consciousness that lie beyond the rational in many if not most cultures throughout history the executive leaders maintained access to seers shamans prophets fools medicine men etc i want to just see the asterisk here uh today the seers are scientists and experts uh says michael marion not not gonna Uh, disagree with not gonna disagree with that the scientists and their acolyte robes uh Uh, yeah yeah, definitely uh there's a point to that although it has a little bit of like wokeness is the new religion uh to it but yeah (laughs) Yeah, like uh scientists are yeah well it's definitely much more on point as a scientist they're the new kind of priest but Anyway, so in keeping with the seriousness of the problems our society faces and the resulting need for a more valid sense of the whole context in which you live, the opening up of these aspects of consciousness, not for the few, but for the many, seems of vital importance. Then from there, you know, a pretty, like, you know, uh, generally nice idea, I guess, you know, okay, sure. let's bring in some, like, you know, religious stuff to expand our minds. That's all good. So where they go from there <laughs> is... To, and mm-hmm. that, like, this is where they, they go. So, mm-hmm. these insights suggest that ordinary attempts to shift the prevailing image of humankind by rational, manipulative means would likely prove ineffectual. Other evidence, however, suggests that such a strategy, if it uses extraordinary means, might well be effective, but ultimately dysfunctional. Uh, Kinzer and Kleinman have written a provocative book, The Dream That Was No More a Dream, A Search for Aesthetic Reality in Germany, 1890 to 1945. Which contends that during this recent era, the German government undertook to deliberately shape the image of man to create a quote-unquote myth that would resolve the Germans' identity crisis. There's so many, like, punctuation errors in this. Like, what yeah. What was Pergamon Press doing? Like, you know, damn. Uh, uh, I don't want to know what Robert Maxwell was doing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was busy, 80s. like, exactly. Anyway, they're, like, trying to describe how this is possible, and they're like, one good example would be... Nazi Germany. Using all the means at their disposal, some conventional, e.g. visual art, songs, slogans, and propaganda, and some unconventional, e.g. arm-in-arm rocking, goose-step marching, and other somewhat more esoteric ways of releasing primal energies in a structural form, some of which have appeared from time to time in the American human potential movement. <laughs> so, it's, it's, that's very funny because, like, they, like, literally mention that as good. <laughs> like, yeah, the human potential yeah. movement as being good. Anyway, so... Uh-huh. Uh, Germany created for itself a sense of national density in accord with the universe. Kinzer and Kleinman assert the central equation of this process was myth sh- was that misshaped perception. Perceptions produce policies. Policies cause events and situations. And events require explanation. How can one separate the beginning of the circle from the end? The mythic invention from the archetypal situation? Or the fabrication from the candid recognition of a geopolitical fact? The first feeds the last and the last vindicates and reinstates the first. This cycle is what Freud meant by self-fulfilling prophecy. 
the manufactured statement that creates historical reality, thereby validating itself. Uh, yeah, uh, true. Mm, okay. uh, so, the recent appearance of such writings as the image, the selling of the president, catch a falling flag, the image makers, and friendly fascism, uh, which I guess is an idea from Gross, uh, yeah. would indicate that the German approach of image manipulation and myth creation is all too feasible in the United States. Image manipulation is practiced in our society, but has not yet reached the proportions that were practiced in Germany before World War II. As we note in the next chapter, however, an extrapolation of current trends makes this possibility seem almost expected. Martin, yeah. writing almost two decades ago, concluded that the whole world is in imminent peril from the totalitarian technique. The free peoples, because they are still free, have the means of making the withdrawal and return, of rediscovering the creative contact by rediscovering themselves. There can be no assurance that they will fully realize this peril or make use of these means. But if they do, a fundamental change can come over the world. There is in this present age a possibility of greatness exceeding all that has gone before. The possibility that our time of troubles can become the timeless moment, the moment of vision and commitment. Uh, and, in fairness to the reader, it should be emphasized that this creative contact is not an armchair pursuit. What is proposed is an experiment, an experiment involving risk, making heavy demands on those who undertake it with no guarantee of results. Mythos meant originally the words spoken in a ritual, the means of approach to the god. There are a variety of modern means of approach to the creative process working in and through man. And, as always, the creative is dangerous. I definitely agree with that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, their uh, thing is, although not without danger, uh, this is the authors again, the democratic assumption is that pluralistic creativity is always more to be trusted than is fascistic manipulation. All right. From Margaret um, Yeah. That's nice. Um, yeah. Ooh, but wow, a lot going on there. A lot going on there. Yes, definitely a lot going on. Yeah. So they think um, that the levels of image manipulation that were present in Nazi Germany, uh, given the extrapolation of current trends, they think is almost uh, expected and, you know, yes, maybe even inevitable. Expected. Yeah. Yes. Hmm, interesting. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe even inevitable. I like the, the phrasing it in terms of all uh, the democratic assumption is that pluralistic creativity is always more to be trusted than is fascistic manipulation. I love, like, the, for one, they italicize always, like, as if yeah. to say, like, like you know, stop what you're thinking. Bit. Well, it's almost like trying to say, like, no, like, bad reader, you know, don't. But it's also, like, kind of saying, like, the democratic assumption is you know so that's a democratic assumption but it's not you know it's not just saying they're that, not necessarily endorsing not the democratic pluralistic yeah. exactly they're like you know they would just cut out like the democratic assumption is that like if the if you if you cut that out and just said although not without danger pluralistic creativity is always more to be yeah. trusted than its manipulation then you would be saying that but what you're doing is saying the democratic assumption you know in a in a paper that's like hardly objective you know yeah. like it's very yeah. odd it's like now i'm being objective about like you know whether fascistic manipulation is better than democratic creativity <laughs> or whatever you know like yeah uh, yeah no they're just taking in they're just taking a hands-off you know scientific yeah approach exactly to, all the they're not making value yeah. judgments even though they talk all the time mm -hmm. in this about how like you need to have yeah uh, moral they're not we're not making value and, judgments 
yeah, you know, Hinduism is better than Judaism. Anyway, I don't know. There's so. also like the the quote from Martin that you know he meant. It sounds very extremely sus. I guess he's writing in 1955. He says it's not an armchair. He's again sounding like David Myatt. What is proposed is an experiment, an experiment involving risk, making heavy demands on those who undertake it with no guarantee yeah. of results. <laughs> and then he says, yeah. out of nowhere, mythos meant originally the word spoken in a ritual, the means of approach to the god. And, you know, then says the creative is dangerous. So he's like, is he trying to contact, a, you know, like, his, like yeah. what, I, I don't know. It, you almost could read into that. Like, we want to under like undertake an occult project where we maybe want to. I mean, yes, maybe he's speaking just like euphemistically. But it's an interesting thing to bring up that, oh, when we're all talking about mythos, we're actually, you know, it's this thing that actually is rooted in like occult rituals, like ancient occult rituals. And it's like dangerous yeah. and it's a means of well, approaching the God. Say that. They yeah, well, they explicitly say that it is based in, like, ancient occult rituals. I mean, it, it repeatedly. The so. question is whether any of them were actively involved, since they were so interested in this stuff, if any of them were kind of involved to any degree with any kind of occult group that maybe was informing between their, their mentions of Freemasonry yeah, and their weird little... Yeah, it almost seems certainly um, that there was, at least to an extent, like, at least, like, proto-Esalen-type stuff. You yeah. know, the Institute of Noetic Sciences more or less is Esalen. And maybe so, maybe when they're talking about things like Freemasonry, they're actually kind of thinking of themselves and their Esalen crowd as kind of the I new Freemasonry. Yeah. Well, which actually, idea, which then like, makes me know, wonder, it, like, is there a continuity between the old Freemasonry and Esalen? I don't, I can't say for sure. I know that the, it was well, founded by people from Stanford. So they saw that. there as being one. It's the same thing. You know, I feel like their religion or like their idea is like an Idris Shah type idea where there's, you know, like we said, there's like a, uh, a long tradition that has gone through these different forms and like we are the inheritors of it so maybe we're not like you know uh formal initiates of you know a freemasonic order per se but like yeah. we're exploring these things and keeping like this flame that really is the same thing like in you know as cringe as this and wrong as this idea is like the same thing and like all you know the secret the quote-unquote secret society of the sufis you know, the poor Gnostic heretics and the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, etc. You know, and yeah. like now our, whatever, our little Esalen buddies, you know, who are like the disciples of L. Ron Hubbard or like whatever, you know, like we're... <laughs> yeah, OTO, you know, etc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They all, but it does it does seem to have gone through a change or that in the guy who like Jack Sarfati, like, uh, like uh, Walter Breen? Or... or uh, oh, Werner Erhard, yeah, no, the no, Est guy. Yeah, Erhard, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, who's like, connected to all yeah. kinds of people and definitely connected to yeah. Esalen and all this, like, transpersonal yeah. psychology. A lot of people were in it. A lot of the people that worked on this yeah. report were heavily I mean, we involved in that stuff. we should emphasize, like, how much they were into parapsychology, basically, like, Yes, I did want to bring that you up. You know, they mentioned that, like, all the time. Like, just shortly thereafter that, they talk about how we need a new policy paradigm uh, that provides a far culture reconciliation of C.P. Snow's two cultures, the sciences and the humanities, the reconciliation mm -hmm. of the objective inquiry mentions, uh, methods uh, for learning to manipulate the external physical environment and the inquiry methods that are emerging to similarly explore the subjective internal psychical environment of our living. Likely, mm -hmm. such an umbrella paradigm will not will not be possible without the emergence of others, somewhat more specialized, but nevertheless holistic paradigms to support it. An adequate policy-relevant paradigm for understanding the subtle complexities of ecology, for example, 
will require a creative synthesis of those disciplines we call biology, anthropology, ethology, Nazi discipline, and possibly even parapsychology. <laughs> Similarly, literally, like Lawrence, like a straight up Nazi, like one wow. of the biggest figures in, in shaping the idea of ethology. Uh, anyway, okay. so similarly, which all these people just love, 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 you know, like it's like, oh, uh-huh. look at the monkeys doing their rituals, you know, just like mm. a- Anyway, uh, <laughs> similarly, an adequate new science of internal states which would deal with topics as varied as psychosomatic medicine, creativity, quality of life, uh, and so-called psychic abilities, if present trends are any indication, will require a synthesis of Eastern wisdom, Western psychology, electronic engineering, physics, physiology, etc. I don't know what they mean by physiology. Maybe gym class or like physiognomy. I don't know. But anyway, like, uh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, they do quote Julian Huxley at the very beginning of the book is like one of the epigraphs. Yeah. Uh. But this is also very MKUltra type stuff because it's all about like, oh, we need to, it's just very important that we come up with a hierarchalized or like a systematized a framework for understanding like internal states you know we need like a science of people's psychologies you know mm-hmm, which uh mm-hmm. of course will only be used for good purposes you know like of and course, it's totally of course. like just yeah no one will use it for any bad reasons etc yeah absolutely um, not well as long as you know as long as democratic assumptions prevail i guess you know yeah as long as about. democratic yes they actually go on th- from there to talk about you know uh what indications are there that pervasive personal and institutional transformation and a creative mustering of new paradigms are feasible without their being quote unquote caused so this is like where they start to bring up the issue of like ha- like ha- what is the morality of like making people like manipulating people basically changing their images you know? that they're yeah changing their images yeah and stuff. exactly yeah. Yeah. They, they um, said, you know, there can be this, e- no easy answer to this question, of course. Yes. The forces against fundamental conceptual change appear almost insuperable. Virtually every institutionalized aspect of our society, but especially the image-creating media, whose revenues, hence editorial policy, currently derived primarily from advertising, indirectly support the current industrial paradigm. The physical aspects of our culture, urban-centered factories, freeways, automobiles, etc., all reinforce it by shaping our perceptions, incentives, and habits. However, there appear sufficient indications of a new image emerging that continued work in this direction is indeed appropriate. We outline in Chapter 4 historical analogy between the present and the post-medieval period that is suggestive of various forces at work which are creating the conditions for a transformation. Added to that line of argument are the following assessments of societal conditions that together indicate, with appropriate stimulation, the feasibility of a, quote, new renaissance, which would have the characteristics set forth in chapter five. And I guess these are their, like, preconditions. Okay, so this that, is, like, know, my thing. For. Like, it, again, like, they just, like, it's so ridiculous, like, how much they waffle back and forth and contradict themselves. Like, uh-huh. for instance, <laughs> saying, uh, yeah, like, um, they say like you know we need a new renaissance well that's when like you know the spanish uh, evil western european catholics were going to you know who are of course judeo-christian so that's bad yep. and obviously yep. committing genocide is bad so uh-huh. uh, which they did well, uh, you know during <laughs> i mean the they don't really bring it up that so, much in this report you know they don't mention they don't... it it's actually really funny because like there is a note from some guy who's like you mentioned hitler but yeah he says uh while you note briefly the societal manipulations of the third reich under hitler you do not deal with the consequences of this tragedy. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is from Robert A. Smith, too. Yeah, you know, and he also okay. says, you know, you should talk about Mao or whatever. But it's like, uh, you know, yeah, like uh, his point 
about, yeah, like, you mentioned Hitler, but then you kind of, like, don't really talk about how awful that was or, like, seem to have, like, a real sense of... It's kind of like an Aquino thing where it's like, yes, of course, of course, you know, there were all mm-hmm. these horrible things that happened, but their magical understanding was quite sophisticated. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, if only yeah. they didn't do the fundamental aspect of genocide, which is inextricable from their entire philosophy, then, mm-hmm. uh, you know... <laughs> yeah exactly just leave that little part out and it should be fine. yeah exactly um, the, yeah and right. you know so I, I i guess they these uh the 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 things that the characteristics that make the new renaissance uh feasible with appropriate stimulation uh are are these things they said one there is need societal problems such as those described in chapter two are mounting that appear to be intrinsic to the very structure of the mature industrial society hmm similarly there is growing evidence that a variety of goals cannot be adequately realized due to intrinsic limitations of the essentially objective and reductionistic paradigm of science that is currently dominant in our society uh the next one there are motivation and progress although the societal trends that appear to be dominant and the overall momentum of industrialism do not point to the emergence of a new and more adequate image of the human there are various signs indicating increasing desire for the progress towards such an emergence for example this is one. my this example that he gives is like what my favorite part like of the whole thing like not like obviously ironically like it's just like so stupid and awful anyway yeah keep, yeah yeah it really uh, it yeah. encapsulates a certain vibe in the 70s in a nutshell so one yeah interesting interest in cultural survival in eastern thought in self-exploration in holistic understanding of complex systems in personal and cultural transformation is in the ascendant surveys and polls show this growing trend most notice noticeably in the Yankelovich data on the new naturalism among such groups as student elites and corporate executives who are increasingly turning away from economic values. A survey of major public libraries made in connection with this study reveals an unusually strong demand for books on wholesome living, natural organic foods, yoga for health, the occult, uh, extrasensory processes, divination, esoteric wisdom, and Eastern practices, Zen, yoga, meditation, etc. While the more fundamentalists of the traditional churches are growing at a rate about equal to the decline of the more ecumenical Ecumenical, traditional once churches. again thank you uh robert maxwell for like not you know proofing the book anyway sorry uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah um or um, traditional churches other voluntary organizations especially in what is called the quote human potential movement are growing far more rapidly Two. okay pop, so two pop, pages yeah, okay. ago two pages ago they said that the human potential movement had like similarities with nazism <laughs> And then they're like, well, you know, this is like now that we thankfully we're seeing some growth in the human potential movement. So now we're <laughs> that's good. That's a good sign. Like what? Well, like uh, it was two pages ago. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, and, you know, uh, the, um, the, 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 this next this next one just feels like it's a it's a time bomb of interesting things. Yeah, that this would is come to pass too. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so true. number two. Yeah. Population growth is declining. Environmentalism is growing. New legislation is being considered that might promote more holistic understandings of societal problems. For example, Senator Humphrey's recent bill on national growth policy. Increasing numbers of technical symposia and ad hoc groups are being formed on the theme of survival-motivated transformation, e.g. the World Order Models Project, the Club of Rome. Yeah, uh, which I think (laughs) Maxwell was involved in uh, sponsoring the World Order Models Project. I think this is actually published mm-hmm. as part of his series in the world order 
models project um and the the blueprint for survival project the international institute of applied systems analysis projects of the national and world council of churches that's an interesting one to throw in there at the end um and i guess they say there are recognizable processes of transformational discovery the historical record of cultures and individuals which successfully coped with crisis motivated change the process of new paradigm discovery in science and the process of general creativity show some remarkable parallels. Two characteristics which stand out in the record of such discoveries are, one, that they are intuitively rather than rationally based. In most descriptions of transformational discovery, the tapping of imagistic, intuitive, and super-rational aspects of consciousness appears as a central element of discovery. Only before and after the new gestalt is recognized to the more rational processes serve the useful functions of evaluation, planning, and so forth, Two, that they reformulate rather than replace previous ideas. Although both types of creativity occur in times of crisis, the type of discovery that has led to revitalization of a culture is that in which the creative thrust was more a reformulation of capitalism, let's say, and a combination of ideas already having good currency than a a revolutionary change to radically different ideas. Thus, cultural transformation seems feasible without revolutionary disruptions. To the extent that the transformation society can meet the unique and habitual needs of diverse groups while at the same time providing a unifying framework for the entire culture. Techniques exist with which transformational discovery can be fostered. Others can be discovered. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, and I guess then there is uh, the, the last bullet point here is there is timely stimulation of attempts, both individual and collective, to foster an evolutionary transformation. Okay, so somebody's got to do something to stimulate this. The majority of the society do not perceive the need or have the motivation noted above. This is perhaps fortunate, for it gives time to create the needed ideas before charismatic leadership and or simplistic attempts to reform are demanded. Although there is, among an increasing number of elites, a perceived need, motivation, some progress, and proper tools, yet small in proportion to the need, most funding understandably goes into work that fits within the present paradigms of our culture. The efficacy of transformational research and working toward more adequate paradigms has yet to be demonstrated to the mainstream institutions of society. Thus, support of this kind of activity could prove to have, here we go, quote, high leverage, you know, just like Kettering Foundation Mm -hmm. wanted, in terms of building the kinds of knowledge and necessary experience that might turn cultural crisis into creative transformation. So that's kind of what they're after. And, you know, if you look at kind of the rise of Silicon Valley and then the 1980s kind of culture, um, it really does seem like there was some timely stimulation of attempts and it was guided towards reformulating the, the previous ideas, i.e. capitalism, imperialism, basically, the, yeah. of the system we had, uh, into something reformulated, which is now like like techno-stakeholder neoliberal capitalism. Uh, right? It's amazing. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing that, like, th- he would say, whoever, you know, whichever one of the multiple authors wrote this particular part would say uh that because people are taking yoga and organic food books out of the library and books about (laughs) the occult and about zen and meditation that means that like you know we're gonna change paradigms like or something like that or that like you know yeah there's a human potential movement is is growing it's like so and it shows like how 
incredibly narrow and like you know basically just yeah exactly like a totally like bourgeois like professor brain like mm-hmm. you know student elites are you know going yeah. to uh, they're going to seed the ideas uh it's very yeah, sds brained um and, before, before and not in an oglesby way before, before people realize that there's a crisis and they rate simplistic demands for reform we have the opportunity to create you know more sophisticated approaches to transformation or what it's like all right the way um, i read that is like you know like if we do this in advance we can come up with a plan so we don't need to like messily assassinate fred hampton and martin luther king and malcolm and like malcolm x uh you know and yeah, make ourselves true. look bad like before any charismatic uncontrolled radical leader rises up yeah, you know from exactly. the masses and and starts doing something we don't like uh we want to control this process it's basically saying that there's gonna change is coming whether everybody likes it or not and we need to get out in front of it or else it's gonna hit you it's gonna you know sideswipe you potentially and it's gonna take forms that you don't like which means it's gonna maybe threaten capitalism and like the superstructure you know and both ideologically and then maybe you know physically in the in in the dialectic you know and and you're gonna be in a dangerous situation so we need you know we have these tools now and they're just kind of coyly pointing out like look what nazi germany was able to accomplish in just such a short time and you know maybe with a little more deafness uh, and a little more tact and things like that, maybe a little more covert uh, of a aspect, you know, maybe some of those things, just like a Werner von Braun's rocket, you know, expertise could be weaponized and all those MK Ultra Nazi scientists that got brought over. Why not take a little, you know, put that little, put that little ring on. Don't throw it in the Mount Doom, you know. Maybe we'll just use it for a little bit of stuff. But I think even that is a little bit disingenuous uh, in terms of like maybe their um, uh, attraction to those ideas and their like how cool they are with the kind of fascistic yeah. totalitarian control. You know, it's like it's almost so weird because they don't. E- I would I would have expected them to take more pot shots at maybe totalitarian communism or collectivism or something like that and kind of spell out why that's like totally a bad road or like you know like saying we don't want to go down this road or this is a an example of a a negative direction you know of of an image changing even bringing up things like i don't know the cult of personality i had a thought there but now it slipped away from me about this passage that we just read oh yeah you know what the other thing uh i would even go deeper than what you said in terms of acting like you know a bunch of kids buying occult books and stuff and the rise of like the human potential movement is totally gonna introduce a new paradigm and stuff. Like I think he is kind of doing professor brain and being really kind of ridiculous and maybe in some sense like overhyping his very niche subculture that's there and you know basically probably primarily in California at that time. However, a lot of the people that went into building this report and or editing it or working on it, etc., were like deeply involved with the entire like not just the what became the human potential movement but all the stuff that led up to it like all of the acid test mk ultra shit in the early 60s so it's like they even like even them just being like hey look over there there's this like human potential movement that's getting so popular how interesting and not like owning up to the fact that like yeah we've all been super on this tip since like 1961 and we've all been like before the lsd revolution you know what i mean yeah 
It's uh, yeah. so it's like they're they're not showing their full hand in terms of how in, like they're they're deeply invested. It's like promoting like a stock or something or I don't know, a cryptocurrency that you've secretly bought like a huge amount of. And then you go out and start running around and telling everybody how important and great it's going to be. It's it's a little bit of like they're kind of hyping yeah, their and- own work without like really copying to the, without really disclosing <laughs> like probably their intimate definitely, involvement. Definitely. They abs- abs- yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, of course, like because yeah, of course that they like have a personal investment in it and like they think that it's awesome. Well, not yeah, not only do they think that it's awesome, like as outside, like, uh, you know, interested observers or something like obviously, I mean, these are the type of things where like if you like it that much. Like, obviously, like, you kind of in some way participate in it. And a lot of these people, like, we know did. I did like uh, Michael Marion, who, like, is, you know, like we said, like, kind of a, a futurist, like, guy who's, like, a little bit weird and, like, uh, controversial in his own right. But I did like his comments on it where he was like, do you think the co- cultural survival lobby broadly defined outnumbers the supporters of Maharaj G, the John Birch Society? Would you care to contrast the readership of any five new culture periodicals to the 116,000, uh, sorry, 160,000 subscribers to Street Chopper Magazine to the 175,000 <laughs> subscribers to Off-Road Vehicles Magazine? Uh, you know. Ouch. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what, though? It's just like... I think that that's a, that's a, that's a good burn. Uh, I'll give him props for that. At the same time, though, I think, you know, it, it, it's something that it... I even think about in terms of new media nowadays and how I think we all know that certain ideas, depending on the audience that they're aimed at, can have a kind of disproportionate influence despite not uh, despite a mass audience not really being aware of them, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's kind of like a, a premise that maybe. You know, ironically, perhaps, you know, uh, Michael Marion is having certain democratic assumptions where that Mm. I think are not actually present in the idea that like, oh, you know, student elites like I mean, this would drive a MAGA person insane because it's like campus culture is Mm -hmm. obviously going to drive society, you know. Yeah. uh, And corporate executives that want to look woke, you know, like it's like, ah, you know. Yeah, yeah, Marion yeah. also points out that, like, you know, he, yeah, this is the same note where he says, like, I think you should be more uh, skeptical of humanistic capitalism, like, <laughs> you know, it, such as in John yeah. Rockefeller's recent book, The Second American Revolution. Wow. You know, oh, I'd like to read that heard one of co-optation? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, The Second American. Awesome. Yeah. It, it um, is also interesting that for all that that actually is now that I'm thinking about it, it stands out more glaringly. This was written in the early 70s, not the early 60s or, you know, earlier. So yeah. it happened after the first big wave of like this kind of new agey age of Aquarius counterculture thing that really sprang directly out of Palo Alto and Stanford Mm -hmm. and like it even it like spread to San Francisco more than like kind of vice versa and if like we wanted to identify kind of a a grounds I mean there's maybe a couple like Leary said you know they had their agents in Los Angeles and obviously Cambridge like MIT and Harvard you know with Richard Alpert and Leary and some other people uh and the Millbrook estate in New York there are a couple nodes of this thing but Stanford was so central to it and they don't really reckon with unlike say you know don henley uh they do not reckon with like the traumatic uh clusterfuck of like the 1960s and all the even though 
it's in the background, obviously, of like everything that they're talking about that, you know, we're kind of reaching a point of like a crossroads and like a potential moment where our current model isn't working anymore and stuff. But they don't really reference like actual like political activism or just like political tensions. And they don't really talk about politics at all. They're they're on such a high perch of like talking about anthropo like cultural kind of anthropology and and mythos and things like that and psychology and you know uh things like systems theory but they're just kind of acting as if like the actual politics of what people are conflicting about and struggling about and all these other things um not to mention like all the like i don't think Viet the vietnam war gets even a passing mention once in this entire yeah. thing you know it's very bizarre and that and and just how it's like they don't talk about There's they don't like, really yeah, bring up the soviet the union notes, they don't bring up the cold the war yeah. yeah, it's only the notes that people mention, like, the current political climate at all, because, like, that's when people are just flabbergasted, you know, for all their, like, you know, the readers of this, like, aren't, like, the coolest or, like, the, you know, the most rock-on people, uh, but even there, like, are you, like, you know, this seems, like, at, like, completely disconnected from reality, you know, like, yeah. say, like just saying yeah. this stuff, like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we're entering a new paradigm because, like, uh, people taking out the occult books... Or whatever, like, I think the uh, flip side of what you're saying, where it's, like, pumping and dumping, like, your own stock in, uh, you know, occult books and the human potential movement and whatever, <laughs> like, it's it's also kind of, like, puffing up the people who it's intended for. Like, you know, all of your shit, you know, like, and how great, like, you know, you, these great corporations, like, could help to, you're yep. the most important thing, and, like, if you just, like, do yoga then you're mm-hmm. gonna save the world you know like yeah, it's yeah. Just, like and that yeah. came uh, true that shit came true yeah. like silicon valley tech companies will have yoga retreats and they'll have little like uh yeah. like nap rooms and they'll give you all these you know they'll give you like a health allowance and you know they have spiritual retreats and blah 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 and they encourage you know mindfulness meditation and all these other all this other crap and they're getting more you know and they're they're increasingly, especially in the last like couple years, they're jumping on the bandwagon of like we are the vanguard party, essentially of like a yeah. positive social change, essentially. Yeah. That you know, it's like when Nike stands up for like Black Lives Matter or you know Chevron like stands up for girl bosses or something like that is really what's yeah. going to move the needle in progress. Or like, and, like goes to Davos or whatever to or helps with the Great Reset plan. You know, plans yep. to you know restructure everything. I mean, yeah, like, and it's, like, the the sort of, it's so funny because, like, so much of this is, like, you know, we need to get away from, like, these hierarchy, like, whatever, you know, like, these horrible Semitic slash industrial (laughs) hierarchies, like, Uh but it's gotten worse, and, like, all implicit in all of this is this idea of, like, this enlightened, yeah, like, a vanguard party or enlightened group that in consultant with, like, the quote-unquote fools and shamans and medicine mm-hmm. men will, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, like uh, Stephen Greer <laughs> or whatever, you know, are going to, like, uh, you know, almost literally, like, no, are really. going to... I mean, to, like, James, uh, like, Fadiman, you yeah, know, the they... the mental meditation they, stuff is, like, part mm-hmm. of this, you know. And, like, you know, uh, yeah, Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard himself, you know, they kind of endorse yeah, exactly. the Maharishi... All they those literally, people. Yeah, it's wor- it's actually worth it to read that little screed uh, where he like mentions uh, Scientology. Scientology explicitly because <laughs> yeah. like it's very funny like the stuff that he blurs it in with. He says like uh, 
Additionally, it now appears possible to combine the insights of science, art, and religion so as systematically to reduce the fear of yet unknown discovery and to foster the abilities of normal persons to discover and apply more of their creative potential. Such approaches <laughs> as synectics, group dynamics, psychosynthesis, Scientology, psychedelic drugs, integral yoga, self-hypnosis, biofeedback training, small conferencing, imagistic thinking, specific educational programs, and others uh, typify the yeah. diversity of ways in which one or a group of individuals with an appropriate set and setting, mm -hmm. appropriate set, and uh, with an appropriate set, such as the Dark Prince, can be helped, yeah, can be helped to make the type of conceptual breakthroughs here being discussed. Uh, mm -hmm. If the emerging science of consciousness discussed in Chapter 4 is turned towards these ends, it seems obvious that even more effective approaches would be re would result. Scientology, mm. definitely a great way to foster yeah. the abilities of normal persons to discover and apply more of their creative potential. <laughs> Just great. <laughs> talk about, yes. yeah, talk about a, a great, um, yeah, uh, technology of human potential. Set and setting is also, I think, was popularized by Tim Leary. <laughs> So, you know, same old gang. And, you know, that's a, that specifically refers to, like, an LSD trip, but they're extrapolating it to kind of any kind of ritualized group therapy dynamic, which is just so sus. This whole list of, like, yeah. Like, I, I actually hadn't even heard of synectics before. The whole list is before. incredibly sus. Yeah, there's yeah. tons of things there. Like, I have not heard of psychosynthesis. That's something I have not heard of. Uh, no. That sounds incredibly sus and, like, but I have not... I mean, I assume yeah. it's just like some typical, like, thing. Yeah, it's an approach to psychology that expands the boundaries of the field by identifying a deeper center of identity, which is the postulate of the self. Uh, all right, yeah, exactly. It's just like all this stuff, you know, like let's analyze the self and figure out how to make you, uh, you know, do whatever we want. Yeah, and I think actually the even the psychedelic drugs, I just want to put out there, yeah. I'm pretty sure because... Um, uh, I want to check if this is the right, the masters in Houston, uh, who wrote the varieties of, uh, well, they wrote Rome book. Yeah. The varieties of psychedelic experience, the classic guide to the effects of LSD on the human psyche. Um, and yes, that was written by Robert Augustus masters, PhD. And, um, I, I know somebody, I have a friend, um, who grew up in, on uh, Robert masters, uh, cult compound in Oregon. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and and like told me that was the first time I'd ever um, heard of him. Uh, but apparently, like in the seventies and eighties, he was very big on like uh, basically. Um, yeah, he founded the Foundation of Human Understanding. He actually just died uh, last month, um, in April twenty twenty one. So he finally he was ninety three. Yeah, he uh, he was I think an army psychologist who then became like an academic. Um, and then got really into hypnosis and then moved to Los Angeles in 1961 and started the Foundation for Human Understanding. Uh, he, he bought a lot of gold and like made a bunch of money in 1980 by selling it all and then purchased a ranch in Oregon. And then he built this like cult where he brought tons of people to, and apparently like was it was extremely mk and like fucked up and you know i he could almost have his own episode uh one day but that was like that's a, that's a personal story that was related to me it was like yeah i grew up in this guy's cult and he was like uh 
like a, a human potential movement leader who was kind of a Christian preacher, but was like a hypnosis expert, like LSD weirdo MK Ultra guy who like wouldn't let children listen to music because it was like evil or something like that. Like he he had a lot of like mm. really bizarre like rule. It was like very sus and like Scientology, like just part of the whole milieu. So they're just like casually right next to Scientology. They're like, oh yeah, psychedelic drugs, masters in Houston. You know, like just these cool guys that are just like researching LSD and like they're just talking about this is a list of cults basically of like mind control cults. That they're basically looking at, like, look at this, like, great thing we could uh, be doing. So it's also during that period where I believe, maybe when we get to our Jim Jones episode one day, that there was, like, a shift in, like, the MK project going out of the 60s. I think there was a shift in, like, 65, 66 when it, like, got, quote, out, well, it got outlawed and then, like, escaped the lab. And then the 60s happened. Mm -hmm. And then I think in the 70s they kind of moved on a little bit from just, like, using the the primacy of kind of using LSD and they founded all these kind of like like radical new religious movement type groups like some of which were kind of you know ostensibly Christian maybe some were ostensibly Muslim or 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 some kind of new agey thing and you know I think that was it was a, a way to basically practice maybe it was like this kind of like pseudo Maoist kind of technique of it's like why all the why all those communes had like a weird they like they weren't Maoist, but they were all using at least what maybe the the kind of Western view of like what a Maoist struggle session was. But they were doing like encounter therapy that was like inspired by Synanon and shit like that. You know, and and kind of it was supposed to be radical and break down all the hierarchies and do all these things and blah blah blah. And they all kind of spiraled out of control into like these very toxic authoritarian situations full of sus lords even occupy in a way because it like insisted on like this process this horizontal process that was new and kind of a you know liberated from the traditional nazarene scum hierarchies that you know we've all been programmed to to ride with but at the end of the day when you have a kind of um like i think didn't i mention that that feminist essay from i think it was from red stockings called like the tyranny of structurelessness it was a really great essay that published in the 70s that i think was uh i think it was a critique of gloria steinem or just of other groups in general that were adopting this hyper like like progressive stack like nobody's a leader we're all equal we have to have struggle sessions and then talked about how that's like can kind of be a smokescreen for something kind of like i don't know uh at the very least like chaotic and not well organized but also something almost like fashy and culty and you know it's like yeah, more mean, toxic than just having a express leader that like everybody elects you know like yeah, a democratic I mean, centralism a, for example this is like a good example yeah and that like current is running through like this whole thing i feel like the tension between like oh you know everyone i mean it's a common tension like in you know american society at especially in these types of discourses in general but the tension between like yeah de- dem- democracy or like yeah horizontalism or cybernetic systems and also mm-hmm. like you know, they love, like, uh, Greek tragedy, like, classical myths, like, you know, which, <laughs> like, are pretty all about basically, like, tyranny and, like, great mm-hmm. men. But, like, yeah, this is a sauce Joseph Campbell quote that gets quoted at one point uh, in this. He says, uh, For even in the sphere of waking consciousness, the fix and the steadfast, there is nothing now that endures. The known God cannot endure. Whereas formerly, for generations, life so held to establish norms of the lifetime of a deity could be reckoned in millennia. 
Today all norms are in flux so that the individual is thrown willy-nilly back upon himself into the inward sphere of his own becoming, his forest adventurous without way or path, to come through his own integrity and experience to his own intelligible castle of the grail. I love, yeah, cr- good choice, uh, you know, to his own Himmler uh, black yep. room with his dagger. Uh, integrity uh. and courage. An experience in love and loyalty and an act, uh, in honor, uh, with the, anyway, uh, and to this end, <laughs> the guiding myths can no longer be of any ethnic norms. No sooner learned, these are outdated, out of place, washed away. There, today there are no mythogenetic zones, or rather, the mythogenetic zone is the individual heart. Individualism and spontaneous pluralism, the free association of men and women of like spirit, under the protection of a secular, rational state with no pretensions of divinity, are in the modern world the only honest possibilities, each the creative center of authority for himself, in Kusanis circle without circumference whose center is everywhere, and where each is the focus of God's gaze. So, for one, this, like, contradicts, like, a lot of stuff that is in the thing itself, like, and mm-hmm. also is kind of, like, inherently contradictory because, like, the whole, you know, uh is this so easily transferable and like the whole idea of like you know individualism like under a rational secular state like this is all like the the theology of like individualism and like the liberal autonomous economic man is like the whole problem that they have but anyway right after that quote they say we would thus hope not for a handful but for a thousand heroes ten thousand heroes who will create a future image of what humankind can be so this is interesting Hmm. For many reasons, the idea of heroism, especially like, again, in the context of even the the Marvel type, you know, Star Wars type stuff, you know, in the Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell context. But more than that, like, it's an interesting tension between like, you know, what they what they say, like the idea of heroism, of course, you know, a hero is a special person, you Mm -hmm. know, not everyone can be the hero. That's not what a hero is. Like yes. there's, you know, True. they're kind of trying to have it both ways, but they like, they can't quite go, they can't say like, we want to have, you know, 5 billion heroes or however many people on earth there were. Yeah. In, Just a vanguard you know, of heroes. Uh, 1974 like, or even like as a many, vanguard party. Yeah, exactly. Like, but not a small, you know, yeah, exactly. 10,000 heroes. All right. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Is that like, what the gifted children programs you know, are for? Um, exactly. You know, yeah. You get 10,000 like, little call heroes. The God phone, you know, the call to adventure. <laughs> Yeah, it was a call to adventure. It certainly was a call to adventure, wasn't it? Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. it was and a you call even to have adventure. to put a little like you know. Then they encounter the old, the wise mentor figure, uh, Walter Breen. Yeah. Who will teach them. They talk about paideia in this as well. The Greek idea of paideia. That's a great part too. Cause they talk about like, you know, yeah. Athens, classical Athens was so great, you know, and we need to have a culture like that. But of course, you know, in our future, the slaves will be machines and not actual human beings. Like, okay, well, who's going to build the machines? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was know, actually an like, interesting point. That was an interesting point where they basically kept saying that, the like, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks had grasped most of the fundamentals of the scientific method and the kind of the, the rational framework of, like, scientific investigation, but they didn't really do anything with it because they had slaves, and thus they had no economic need or incentive to create labor-saving technologies because they just had slaves that they could do it for, which is an interesting thing that they brought up several times. I'm like, well, now we don't Yeah, have they that, love so. that idea, hmm. and 
Yes. But like we also this like is, the, the early really industrialization did have yeah, slaves. Like, it's weird. Uh, like well, yeah, exactly. Like the, it's the whole idea of like the cotton gin. You know, like yeah, yeah. the cotton gin like it saves work, but. Like, of course, as we know from, you know, maybe, I don't know if they still teach this. Hopefully they, they do. It seems kind of uh, like an important concept. Like, that was something that, like, made the system of shadow slavery all the worse. That uh, accelerated things, like the, you know, invention of mm-hmm. this, you know, machine that would be, like, you know, allow this to... They could know, massively uh, increase output, right? Yeah, exactly. And so... Basically. The, and same with, same with was, industrialization like, machine, in the North. Like slavery yeah. accelerated. Uh, they even brought that up. Slavery, in the, yeah. I, I think even early on, they brought that up as like just a curious phenomenon in the development of like in you know industrialization that you know we we think that the creation even though they they accept that framing of like the Greek thing of like well they would have invented you know labor saving technologies if they didn't have slaves. And they're like, well, you know, in our situation, one would expect that if you created new technologies that saved labor, then that would ease the burden of actually, no, I'm sorry. I think I was reading, I think I was reading some Henry George the other day. I got that mixed up. Um, and he yeah, was making this point, which is also, this. yeah, yeah, they don't mention that yeah, at all. And, you know, like uh, Marx obviously talked about this is like, hmm, isn't it interesting that as you create more technology that saves labor and automates it, that the share of the labor, it's it, like the conditions don't get better for for the laborer they get better for the capitalist that owns the technology so it's like it's not yeah. something even though the general sometimes the optimistic uh, projection or hope is that you know if we all have uh you know robot kiosks and stuff then we can all just hang out all day and live in like a cyber communist utopia but obviously not because you don't get any of the pro you don't profit share in the automation of technology the owner of the technology profits and so that's like a huge issue that changing images of man just like doesn't engage with at all this is actually this paragraph actually is amazing like they say they're talking about the learning society using athens as an an example uh Mm -hmm. using they quote robert hutchins they say its values uh are transformed in such a way that learning fulfillment becoming human had become its aims and all its institutions were directed to this end this is what the athenians did they made their society, this is so romanticized and ridiculous, they made their society one designed to bring all its members into the fullest development of their highest powers. Education was not a segregated activity, uh-huh, except between, like, men and women, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, yeah, like, uh, conducted for certain hours in certain places at a certain time of life, it was the aim of the society. The Athenian was educated by culture by paideia let's linger on the connotations of this word but anyway uh um, central action yeah, it was a very big component of education what you think about when you hear that but anyway uh the oh, central okay. educational I, task fostered by paideia the was mentoring the the, are you referring to yeah there's a certain aspect of mentorship you know the uh the similarity between like paideia pedagogy and other uh, words that use that root like it's not yeah. incidental but anyway uh uh-huh. the central educational task fostered by paideia was the search for the divine center. It was search for some... But anyway, uh, the post-industrial <laughs> society would differ from that of Athens in important respects. Its slaves will be machines. And this is a very weird part. With the Faustian powers of its technology introduced to a new level of responsibility. Why are they using the word Faustian to mean something good? I don't know. Uh, well, mm, uh, yeah, good question. What? Why are they? Why are um, they? Um... It's kind of like yeah. a weird thing where it's like, uh, you know, Robert R- Rudolf Steiner being like, well, Slum Luciferianism is good, you know, like, uh, 
it th- or you know uh, Lucian Greaves being like Satan has nothing to do with evil. Um, <laughs> it must thus become yeah. not only a social learning society but a social planning society. Helping to choose the future then would be the primary responsibility of citizens. So everyone would be uh, absolved of their labor responsibilities by having you know luxury space communism with robot slaves robot um slaves. faustian robot slaves faustian robot golems basically it sounds like yes the uh, one thing in, in jewish tradition that they will accept is uh having a bunch of golems running around yes i guess um <laughs> uh just as a fun side note i i, I know i had heard paideia before i forget i forget if somebody we covered had like a phd like, like a paideia from... institute or something yeah, yeah. i think yeah did. and yeah i think there, actually it, it was, was it robert was anton it wilson uh, yeah it was robert anton wilson it was robert yeah anton let me wilson. just double yeah. check that because there's also there is something that was called yeah no yeah no it was okay so there's two different ones yeah he received a ba and ma and a phd in psychology from paideia university an unaccredited institution that has since closed and his dis- he wrote his dissertation there which was republished as prometheus rising so there we go again with kind of the you know like faust prometheus um and also unrelated to that there was like a more recent thing called the paideia institute which i guess was a kind of a non-profit dedicated to like promoting studying the classical languages and i found an article from like yale daily news from 2019 where the classics department was considering severing ties with the paideia institute because of allegations of sexual assault and misconduct and other things of that nature so they got yeah. in a little trouble uh i guess mm. that's that's somehow uh groups uh, uh yeah i don't know i guess they uh, they think uh the the other people have accused them of creating an environment that's hostile to people of color women students from working class backgrounds the lgbtq community and other marginalized group and then one student claimed uh that a staff member sexually harassed them um and prevented them from learning latin during a summer program so okay another oh wow another student also accused paideia staff of holding white supremacist views and undermining the value of equity (laughs) and diversity in the workplace another account called one paideia employee a fascist (laughs) so i guess you know i don't know um yeah so i mean who knows if that's kind of like hot language on the with some hot grad student language of saying Mm, they're like literally a fascist but given that i don't know yeah yeah, and also the classism of it is kind of interesting. That you don't hear that kind of added into the mix when people are doing bad things these days. But I guess it is, you know, at Yale. So um, yeah, I guess uh, yeah. they were and they're pretty pretty highfalutin organization. I guess that you know that's how they see themselves. I don't know. I I tried to find out stuff about Paideia University where Robert Anton Wilson went, but I was not able to really dig up much about them except i guess there was an article called lawsuit you <laughs> from 2006 from the chronicle of higher education when well, we do we, we do have a robert anton wilson app, uh, coming up so maybe we'll we'll dug uh, dig into that um later still don't know what i was waiting for time is running wild a million dead end streets uh, every time i thought i God, it made it seem the taste was not so sweet. Then I turned myself to face me, but I never caught a glimpse of how the others must see the fake on 
remembered uh, noticing this but not really thinking about it earlier I guess it's a reference to uh, the book The Decline of the West by Oswald Spengler which is Mm -hmm. a bit of a sus book in general but he actually is the person who I believe he came up with the idea of calling Nazarene scum Magians you know something that you also might recognize from David Byatt the idea of you know, Muslim Jews and Christians, a Muslim Jewish Christian civilization, and or you know even Zoroastrian civilization or whatever, being uh, you know Magian. Yeah, and he called like the modern West, you know, starting in the 10th century or something, is mm-hmm. Faustian. You know, but mm. the whole idea of that book is that we're doomed to never reach the actual goal, and that it still has the kind of tragic connotation. So like when you know, in the, they're even like more outrageous than this like sus like weird kind of like proto nazi-ish like book you know by oswald spengler you know uh yeah yeah which is you know maybe that's a little unfair to him but they are basically like we just needed to use our faustian technology more wisely but that's really not possible like the inherent in the idea of something being faustian is that like it can't you know it's inherently like doomed and tragic and can't be used wisely uh yes thinking, it's, it's like, oh, you're gonna go to hell in a bucket technology yeah. to make robot yeah you're gonna make hell you're going to hell in a bucket yeah exactly yeah but anyway yeah moving on oh yeah that, yeah I, I actually uh, oh yeah. before we move on i have a note too because i realized i made a mistake i got a little too excited oh, okay. and when i mentioned uh, a little while back that robert masters was the cult leader in oregon that somebody i knew mm-hmm have like grown up on the compound of it's actually a different masters i slightly misread that the person i was referring to is roy masters he has his own wikipedia page and you know he uh he was one of the pioneers of mindfulness meditation and he he everything i said about him was true he had a compound in oregon he's actually been on like hannity before and like uh larry king crossfire the drudge report yeah kind of a respectable guy but not according to the personal story i heard but actually the author that was referenced on that psychedelic the psychedelic thing was actually robert el masters somebody different and but then if you look at him you can understand kind of why i thought that uh maybe he, they were the same person because uh, Robert E.L. Masters uh, founded with his wife, Jean Houston, the Foundation for Mind Research in New York, conducting experiments in the borderline between mental and physical experience. Uh, he had a background in poetry and sexology and was formerly director of the Visual Imagery Research Project in the Library of Sex Research. Both Houston and Masters have experimented with psychedelic drugs and hypnosis and investigated induction of mystical experience in altered states of consciousness. So very much in the same milieu, but I just, the, the last thing I'll say about the robert el masters who i think died in 2008 but also did move to oregon so he also ended up in oregon so that's kind of weird uh i don't know if they i don't think they were related because roy masters was british originally and this uh, the robert el was from missouri what is it about like british accents that like just set you up to like Mm -hmm. sigh up like a bunch of the true uh, american curse yeah Yeah. but no uh, but here's just a a little 
Yeah. yeah so he did. He did write stuff about about you know altered states, psychedelics, all these other things in the '60s and '70s. But I noticed because like there's a bunch of his books on Amazon. There's one from I guess it was published in 2011, but it's called Eros and Evil: The Sexual Psychopathology of Witchcraft. And the two authors credited on it are Robert E. L. Masters and Aleister Crowley. <laughs> And oh, I guess, awesome. you know, the only thing it says about it, it's kind of an expensive book. It's a uh, 33 to 44 dollars. And the only uh, note on it is it says containing the complete text of sinistrized demoniality. <laughs> so this guy was in this oh, like wow. some Frolian sex music magic. What? Do you know what that is? <laughs> Do you know what that is? Demoniality. Demoniality. Uh, no, it was uh, not sinister. It was a uh, sinistry like uh, S-I-N-I-S-T-R. AI, like I guess that's a person, Sinistri. <laughs> like I don't know who that uh, is. But. Uh, yeah, uh, or Sinistrari. I guess it was a typo because, uh, yeah, Sinistrari. Because you know somebody wrote a very like Thelemic uh, type review on it and like some very in depth kind of Aquino esque reviews. Um, an in depth look at the sexual practices of witches, the devil worshiping ones, not the modern day fluffy bunny ones, with an emphasis on their relations with incubi, succubi, and the devil himself. This is an excellent historical perspective on the topic, although I'm sure a lot of it is colored by the superstitious beliefs of the Inquisitors at the time. Eh. I especially like this book because it has given me many wonderful ideas for erotic blasphemy, a must-have for satanic perverts like myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Oh, my God. That's Whoa. one of the people that, you know, is referenced in Changing Images of Man. Cool. Uh, very cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, must yes. have for satanic perverts. Like Joe Cummings uh, in 2002 wrote that. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, the Demonialitate uh, at Incubis at Succubis uh, is a book on uh, Incubi, Succubi, and other demons that had sex with people that was written by a Franciscan priest, uh, Sinistrari, mm. uh, Ludovico Maria Sinistrari. So maybe they included that as like to get some ideas. Uh, I don't know, but yeah. I don't uh, know, yeah, but this guy, he was definitely no stranger to Crowleyan sex magic and, uh, and and specifically the devil-worshipping kind of witches, not the modern day, not Stevie Nicks, uh, though who can say, yeah. but you know what I mean, like so, not just the likes uh, crystals and... Wow. Real devil worshiping uh, sex magic there, so yeah, pretty cool. So, yeah, just um, another yeah. All right, uh, that's so a good. Anyway, that's yeah, a good. On that, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, on that note. Uh, yeah, on that note. Uh, yeah, I thought that this was a good, interesting discussion from this book. Uh, again, like towards the end, we we're talking about the strategies for making this happen. Well, I'm just gonna start from this part of comparison of basic strategies because just the opening paragraph is really great. In the following analysis, we concentrate on strategies for the United States. They would be similar, but with important differences for other parts of the industrialized world, especially the nations with planned economies. Hmm. Significantly different strategies would be appropriate for those third world nations with resources valued by the industrialized world, mainly fossil fuels and minerals. The situation is still more different for that residual fourth world of nations that have no resources other than poor land and poor people. Furthermore... All right. Furthermore, we yeah. <laughs> emphasize the roles of the powerful political and economic institutions of the technologically advanced world because it appears to be there that the main decisions will be made which will determine the smoothness or disruptiveness of the transformation. It is our purpose not to list specific tactics other than as exemplars, but rather to indicate guiding criteria for decisions and actions. 
All right. Mm -hmm. It will be useful to contrast five different basic strategies through which a desired transformation might be fostered. These are restorative, stimulative, manipulative, persuasive, and facilitative. The mm -hmm. fundamental goal of a restorative strategy would be mm -hmm. to restore the vitality and meaning of past images, symbols, institutions, and approaches to problems, which are believed to have worked successfully in some prior period and hence are judged to be appropriate in the present. Wallace, in a study of cultural revitalization movements, found that this strategy has peculiar appeal during the beginning stages of the revitalization cycle, when the extent of the crisis has not yet been recognized. In later stages, however, attempts to revert to earlier forms come to be seen as clearly inadequate. Hence, other strategies are then adopted. A stimulative strategy has as its fundamental goal the emergence of new images, approaches, or actions that are desired but that are premature. They do not fit the prevailing paradigm and hence would not be very likely to attract support from mainstream institutions in the society. The foci of stimulative strategies would tend to be actions that anticipate a new paradigm but do not yet have much visibility or legitimacy. Such a strategy is especially appropriate when it is becoming clear that a crisis exists and the inadequacies of the old structures and concepts in a society or a science are being revealed. Uh, Wallace calls this cultural distortion and Kuhn calls it a crisis involving a breakdown of the old paradigm. Mm -hmm. While a stimulative strategy seeks to alter the institution's values and behavior patterns of society in such a way as to honor or increase the freedom of choice of individuals in the society, a manipulative strategy attempts to accomplish a similar result through overtly or covertly reducing individual freedoms. <laughs> Some manipulative tactics may be direct, as with the passage of a law. Others may be more indirect, as with editorial policies in the media or confrontation politics in the counterculture. Mm. This approach is more likely to be used by well-established interests that are challenged by newer ones. As we saw, however, it was effectively used in Germany to bring about dominance of a new image of man and of the fatherland, and it could be so used again. <laughs> cool. Amazing. Ooh. Yeah, a persuasive or propagandistic strategy has its goal persuading others of the rightness, utility, and attractiveness of a given image, conception, or way of acting. This strategy is an essential part of the political process, whether in the governmental activities of pluralistic democracies and totalitarian states alike, or in the deciding between competing scientific theories. A facilitative strategy seeks to foster the growth of new images and patterns that are visibly emerging. The main purpose of the support may be less to hasten or ensure the development than to help bring it about with a lowered likelihood of social disruption. If we examine these five approaches in the context of the five premises listed earlier, some seem appropriate and others much less so to the transformation under consideration from the industrial era image to an emergent transcendental ecological one. <laughs> the manipulative type of strategy, it's just like, uh, uh, for instance, is in such direct conflict with the self-realization ethic that it could not be used without risking severe distortion of the state it seeks to bring about. Uh, a risk I'm willing to take if I'm like yeah. just fucking, you know, Nelson Rockefeller, Pharaoh of Atlantis. But anyway, yeah. uh, restorative <laughs> strategies can play an important role in the present transformation because of the fact that the new emerging image is essentially that of the Freemasonry image, uh, sorry, Freemasonry <laughs> influence, which was of such importance in saving the nation's foundation. The activities of the heritage segment of the American Revolution Bicentennial are mainly an attempt to recapture a waning American spirit, although they could serve to promote the new image by reminding us of the transcendental basis of the nation's founding, e.g. the all-seeing eye as the capstone of the pyramidal structure in the Great Seal. Like, calm oh down. I know you yeah, love it so out. much, you but just, like, relax. Really do. Just relax. They're just yeah. like, 
Yeah, it should just be so amazing if, like, you know, the, the emerging image is exactly the same one as the Freemasonry. Yeah, uh, yeah, please, they're really incentive. I want. I yeah. really makes me wonder how many of these people are Freemasons, and also the the influence of like, okay, you know, we think about the families that go way, way, way back, right? Like they go back before yeah. the American Revolution, that have been here since the very beginning, and presumably some of them must have been Freemasons along with Washington and, I don't know, Madison and everybody, Ben Franklin, right? Both North and South. They were all some kind of Freemason. And uh, there were groups like, you know, there were the sons and daughters of the American Revolution. There was the order of like the Cincinnatus, which I think Cincinnati was yes. actually named after the city because, uh, of course, the, yeah, you know, one of it, and that's like that's like a, like a Cincinnatus figure, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, literally like a, uh, yeah. that's a literally a patrilineal organization where you have to like trace your direct lineage back to one of like the five thousand original signers who were all American Revolution veterans or something, and it's like still around today. So it makes me wonder, kind of, I know that spiritually speaking, you know, let's say a lot of like. A New England family started out as, you know, very religious Puritans in the 1700s. They all sent their sons to Yale to become preachers. But then by the 1800s, something changed and the most elite of all of those, you know, uh, sons of the original settlers started going and joining things like Skull and Bones and Scroll and Key and Book and Snake and started uh, getting involved in these more occulty kind of secret societies that were uh, obsessed with kind of like death cult imagery and were also about business networking primarily. They sort of lost their original, at least, I mean, at least a in terms of a, a Christian religious bent, they seem to have kind of lost it somewhere in the 19th century as industrialization really took off. And then we know that like free Freemasons, I, I, I mean, we, we really have to do like a real extensive dive on, you know, Freemasons one yeah, day. But I mean, Freemasonry and Christianity, like I feel like, you know, Freemasons are still essentially Christian. They maybe don't emphasize yeah jesus as much well, as like i don't know like they might they're certainly be, deist they're, like they're deistic yeah, they're uh, and in yeah, some yeah, yeah. some lodges in america throughout history i think probably the majority have had a requirement of like belief in a higher power or like belief in god so you yeah. can be an atheist but then you always wonder yeah. about freemasons and it's like is that just what you say on the outside but actually like you or you just have some a more gnostic esoteric well, kind of the, thing yeah, going the on seeing eye must be something you know maybe it's the eye of providence maybe it's sockloss i don't know uh well i mean i, I think almost think about it i think evil, about it you know i think about it as a pyramidal yeah. class structure of you know basically that is the way uh, in a sort of capitalist oh, the bourgeois society, eye. well, yeah, no, they're the they're guess, the glowing yeah, well, tip of cause it. Because you can always, yeah, exactly. Because you can always, you know, you can become God yourself. You know, you can yeah. achieve godhood. So, of course. so yeah, yeah, so, so God, these yeah. these Freemasonic elites that are on the very top, they are both separate from the pyramid. Like they're literally levitating, like they're using like psychokinetic powers, and they're glowing like a Lucifer light bringer top of tip of the spear yeah. tip of the pyramid and like the statue of liberty yeah. you know yeah the uh, light yeah, bringing uh, yeah goddess baphomet they love prometheus yeah. prometheus comes up in this too great the glorious prometheus true wasn't wasn't yeah, the statue of liberty designed by a freemason like a french freemason yeah i'm pretty sure yeah um, yeah yeah. And there's even something about the Italians. Didn't we read that recently about the Italian Masons who were brought over? Didn't Dave McGowan talk about that? <laughs> that like uh the maybe, like, maybe it was like Vito Polikas's like relatives were how like, like the Luciferian 
Libertas was like watching the scene. Yeah. Oh, of nine eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I I just wonder, kind of like, is there a continuity? Because they do mention here that like the activities of the quote heritage segment of the American Revolution bicentennial are mainly an attempt to, I, I don't know exactly what they refer to that, uh, what they're referring to of the heritage segment. Must if that revolves some in, kind of like celebration, uh, like of the bicentennial that they, well, there was, that know. was a big deal. Uh, and, you know, interestingly also yeah. like, yeah, you know, hotel California came out the year of the bicentennial. We forgot to mention that, but that's kind of like a very big, it seems like it was a big moment in the seventies where there was all this kind of like hullabaloo about like, yay, we're celebrating our 200th year. We're going to make it kind of a big year long, kind of celebration but it was also like post watergate like post vietnam like their economic problems and everything it did seem like america was at this like kind of um uh kind of crossroads and so you know they're saying that like oh well this is an opportunity you know of a restorative strategy we could employ there was even um there was like a usia commemorative video that i found because it was used i might have shown it to you some years ago it was used somebody made like a fan video for r stevie moore's there's no god in america i think was what it was called Mm -hmm. and basically somebody just overlaid this usia like very psychedelic trippy weird kind of cartoon that was like commissioned by the government for the bicentennial Mm -hmm. i don't know what it was played alongside but it was like basically remember it was like it was just like yeah just like uh, endless streams of like hot dogs and like cars being like pumped out of tubes and then like like a floating all-seeing eye pyramid yeah it was like really creepy Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. No, it's a it's it's a good a good song too. Very creepy song. Um. And uh. Yes. But yeah. That that was from the bicentennial celebration from from USIA, which is totally like kind of enmeshed with the CIA, you know, and all kinds of stuff. So what were they up to? I don't know. But yeah, they're really focused. These people, whoever you know, the people that compiled this are very uh, obsessed with the potential of like reviving that old Freemasonic influence, which, you know, now I could, you could see it re, uh, revived or restored in a lot of different ways. But what you don't see, at least on the surface, you know, I've read articles recently about how Freemasonic lodge membership has like plummeted in the last generation. And it's not, it doesn't really seem to be the locus of kind of political no it's not cool power networking anymore type stuff is more cool yeah freemasonry is a little bit outdated you know now you want unknownism you know yeah 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 because it does Um, seem like there's like a lower level of freemasons like your local people at these like lodges that don't seem particularly uh hyper power elites or particularly like you know uh special or powerful but then it's like oh you find out that you know just like 50 60 years ago it's like oh yeah harry truman 33rd degree uh, scottish right mason and like all these other people well, like yeah. uh, like esther brooks I mean, is knights templar mason and you go back to the yeah, turn well, of the century like and the knowledge moves through like different things you know like the the power or the the true wisdom the light of the wisdom you know the the promethean flame uh, mm-hmm. moves through different institutions, you know, and they just leave the husk, like, you know, when Idris Saw's amazing great family was running, you know, the secret, the, the quote-unquote secret society of the Sufis, you know, <laughs> then they had the great Gnostic flame of the glorious Lucifer, but then, you know, it was passed on to, like, Gardnerian witchcraft, and then, like, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and so, exactly. like, they leave behind the institutional husk, but, like, the true wisdom is, like, 
you know, with Timothy Leary or whatever, or uh, Werner or Hard or, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like um, yeah. And you know what? Uh, just to read uh, a little more from this like strategy section, because this is where, yeah, you know, this is kind of where the this is kind of where Nazi the sickos stuff. are yeah. telling us. Yeah. So yeah. They, they said that um, uh, just jumping down a little bit. You know, they talk about how once a societal transformation is underway, as this one appears to be, that uh, social stability becomes a central problem. It is essential to have as accurate a picture as possible of the total state of affairs so that research related to anticipating the nature and characteristics of the transformation rightly assumes high priority. So they say other than in the passage of laws, manipulative strategies insofar as the five initial premises hold up would appear to be incompatible with the emerging image. No doubt existing consciousness changing, behavior shaping, subliminal persuasion, and other conditioning techniques could be used to accomplish some sort of transformation of sobering proportions we ought to be able to be more effective than nazi germany they say in parentheses Uh, like wait what uh okay yeah we ought to be able to be more effective than nazi germany however the use of manipulative techniques for this particular transformation conflicts fundamentally with the goals implicit in the transformation thus they would probably in the end be disruptive and counterproductive persuasive techniques yeah probably Probably. Uh, you know yeah yeah. but you know maybe worth a shot maybe worth a shot wouldn't be good but you know probably it would uh, possibly it would work okay yeah, anyway, that, yeah the, uh, the 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 whole thing of like we a parentheses we ought to be able to be more effective than the nazis is like doing a ton of work there that's so <laughs> hilarious like why would you even say that yeah don't like, encourage people who are Nazis, reading this we would be better at it than they were <laughs> like what like, it might chill. it might come with some downsides that might be disruptive yeah. and counterproductive not wrong not evil but disruptive and counterproductive um so they say that but then they they they, they immediately it's qualify also like, that you know yeah well yeah then they immediately say yeah persuasive techniques that fall short of manipulation are unlikely to be very effective uh-huh. Right. The reason is that one characteristic of such a transition period as we seem to be entering is low faith and disenchantment with and cynicism regarding both scientific and political leadership. Well, like, okay, so I find they go on to say, which is an interesting part that we should read, but like, but I, I just want to say I, I question this whole structure, like this whole, mm-hmm. like, I like the whole, like, of course, like, you know, I don't think the Nazis thought that they were being manipulative. I don't think that they thought, like, you know, I guess, like, there are all those things, like, you know, tell a lie big enough or whatever, but I feel like they probably thought that they were being facilitative for the most part. Probably. Like, I feel like they mostly, like, you know, maybe they did, like, a little bit. I feel like they thought that they they weren't being, like, bad. Like, you know, they weren't doing, like, the bad thing or whatever. Like, whatever, whoever the Nazis were, like, this is what the Nazis did, you know? Like, whoever, whatever the example was for the Nazis of, like, a a prototypically bad uh, social movement they yeah. probably didn't see themselves as doing the same thing as they were. I guess the Jews. They didn't see themselves as being manipulative the way that Jews were manipulative. Yeah, no, they you thought know, they like, were being, uh, like, honest or something like that. And, exactly. You know, or, or, like, just or being facilitating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being str- so, like, the whole idea, like, you know, what we need to do is facilitate, like, not manipulate. Th- these uh, all are kind of different shades of the same thing. They're more porous, yeah. I think, than these people are kind of letting on of. And they end up kind of saying that, like, oh, we should really just mix all these together and use them, like, carefully, like, in tandem with one another to basically do it. Because yeah, like, each one has. Um... robot slaves wisely. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, I feel like this, this really is why, like, we have Boston Dynamics robot dogs, like, running around. It's like this this paper yeah. has something to do with it, but 
<laughs> yeah. They do endorse kind of, they say the most appropriate strategies, if the initial premises are accepted, would appear to be facilitative ones. The transformation has its own dynamic. It can probably not be slowed down or speeded up very much by political action once it has enough momentum to be physical. Even though, like, what if it is political action by nature? Like, they're assuming that at mm-hmm. these forces are, like, not political. Okay, whatever. But the trauma of the transition, the amount of social disruption, economic weakening, and political confusion can probably be affected a great deal by the degree of understanding of what the transformation process is, why it is necessary, and what the inherent goals are. To use a biological metaphor, the woman beginning to experience labor pains and associated physiological changes is much more likely to approach birth with low anxiety and hence to avoid tensing up and doing the wrong things if she understands the nature of pregnancy and its inherent goal than if she had no idea of the process or where it leads. And um, this is another one that jumped out at me because, you know, they did make these slight references of like, you know, this also applies to planned economies as well. So they're, you know, mm-hmm. ostensibly talking about us, but I, I could see some parallels to maybe projecting outward to maybe some enemy countries uh and yeah, so they said the you know third world that has resources that would be of value to us yeah uh-huh. yeah, like, yeah so uh, so they go on yeah. here you know say that perhaps another comparison is even more pertinent we've earlier noted that societies and transformation bear a certain resemblance to individual behaviors accompanying a psychological crisis the dislocation known as a psychotic break is sometimes brought on by the total unworkability of the person's life pattern and belief system such that the whole structure seems to collapse and need rebuilding Prior to the crisis, the person, to a disinterested observer, is seen to be engaging in all sorts of irrational behavior in his frantic attempts to keep from himself the awareness that his personal belief, value, and behavior system was on a collision course with reality. Under favorable circumstances, the individual goes through the crisis, uncomfortably to be sure, and restructures his life in a more constructive way. In in an unfavorable environment, of course, the episode can escalate into a catastrophe. In the case of a society, a parallel condition to the psychotic break can occur, with a relatively sharp break in long-term trends and patterns. The analogs of irrational individual behavior may appear, social disruptions, violent crime, alienation symptoms, extremes of hedonism, appearance of bizarre religious cults, etc. I love that. I love that because they're like, you know, imagine, well, no, it's just like, you know, oh, you know, uh, we don't want, you know, all these, uh, you know, bad things to happen, like the appearance of bizarre religious cults, like, for a good example of, like, you know, what we need in society, like, see every single bizarre religious cult ever, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, so I guess, okay. you know, yeah, it doesn't make, literally doesn't make sense, uh, contradicts itself yeah. uh, grossly, but they say... B- bizarre religious cults, like, a normal mosque, or, like, a normal yeah. church or synagogue, uh, like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the worst so they thing say, ever might happen, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but, or, yeah, it's like the, the ones that we're all involved, like, massively in promoting, uh, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so they go, he goes on to say, a massive denial of realities may occur, e.g. with regard to exponential increases in population or energy use. Um, the society may go to extreme measures to hide from itself the unworkability of the old order and the need for transformation. The transformation itself, like the psychotic break, may come almost ineluctably, and as with the individual, favorable and unfavorable outcomes are both possibilities. What we have termed facilitative strategies can be likened to the sort of care that may help bring about a favorable outcome. Okay, so that whole passage just reminded me of like what 
ended up happening to the Soviet Union kind of in the late 80s once, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the the kind of peace talks and Glasnost and Perestroika and, you know, uh, the Esalen Institute bringing Boris Yeltsin over here so he could do acid in a hot tub and, like, get visited by, like, yeah. a djinn who told him to believe in capitalism or something. Whatever the fuck right. happened with that. You know, it sounds like, oh, you know, like, basically, the society, it sounds like a kind of projection of, like, like, you know, the Soviet Union may I mean, go to extreme measures to hide from itself the unworkability of the old order and the need for transformation. And it may come almost ineluctably, like just suddenly, like a shock where like, oh, the Berlin Wall fell down and everybody's like, ah, and, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, that's that, an interesting uh, point. Like, but e- even at like a more like, you know, to telescope out from that, it's like a really deranged framework to say like, oh, so society is like our psychiatric patient. Like, you know, especially since, like, earlier on in this book, they're like, oh, you know, it's so interesting, like, you know, uh, Delgado's ideas about using electrodes and, like, biofeedback and, like, stuff Uh like that, you know? Yeah, like, being that, like, their idea of psychiatric care is, like, putting Paul Robeson in, like, you know, a mental institution and, like, a million times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, great. Like, no, no, thank you. Like, that's they want to. They do. Like, <laughs> you're right. That's a yeah. subtext of this whole thing. Like, is like, their, what their if we could apply? Of, like, what psychiatric care is? Like, just shooting everybody up with like psilocybin, like you know, or whatever, uh-huh. and like <laughs> you know, or like electrocuting them, or like you know, yeah, like, like it's not promising that they're like, oh, society is like our patient in a mental hospital. Like, no, please, like, ah. Yeah, and, and actually, I also like don't uh, trust well, them to like understand what like is crazy or not. You know, like yeah, like, you no, know, I don't what, to diagnose a psychotic break. Like I don't trust like people of an who, entire like, love... country. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. It's very um, weird. But, yeah, it's very creepy to look at like uh, basically. Yeah, or like, yeah, I would not want any of these people to be my doctor in any way. No, like or <laughs> like at all. You know, like never, ever, ever. Yeah, like uh, definitely, like our society is like you know because basically like what they're saying without saying it is that like capitalism is headed towards crisis, which is true. Yeah, but like for them to set themselves up as like the doctor like yeah. of the psychotic break that is mm-hmm. like their own system like collapsing like that's horrible like no it's like, even I ironic not, because like, they since they endorse scientology that they sure are sounding like a bunch of arch arch cyclos aren't they yeah they are they're sounding like a bunch of arch cyclos yeah but you know what it's actually interesting you know, now that I think about it, especially since you were talking about the Great Reset and like a lot of the Great Reset conspiracy stuff has been like sort of around COVID and stuff. It is interesting that it's in all these medical terms, isn't it? It's interesting how it's like, oh, you know, it's mm. like society has a sudden disease, yep. uh, you know, and uh, we need to just treat it. You know, I guess it's more of a cycle, uh, you know, a pregnancy or a psychiatric disease, but... It it's a little bit, you know? but you know, yeah, I mean, it's a medical emergency. It's a medical emergency. Yeah. So we, they, they've already set the frame now that like w- anything can kind of go just about with a, a medical emergency of a big enough scale. And that's like why you're going to see the climate change stuff, which was just getting started around the same time this was published, you know, is going to be cast in kind of medical pandemic type terms. Like, you know, climate change yeah. is a new pandemic. Well, they are so unrelated. we have to. They are unrelated. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, like, uh, it's true that, like, you know, the, yeah, the, the, the globe is changing. You know, the, the world is changing. Like, yes. uh, you know, yes. things are, uh, 
yeah, transforming as a result of like all these factors. Well, and this I, I just, isn't I just... Oh, gonna be just over. Perhaps yeah. I'm being too cynical and not optimistic enough. I think that, well, you know, I hear that a bunch <laughs> of people are buying some, I hear people are more into astrology now. Some people are buying some occult books. The membership in the uh, the Satanic Temple uh, and their ironic, you know, abortion uh, protest is up. <laughs> so I think actually that we're all gonna be fine. Everything's the kids are all right. Okay. Yeah, I did notice the here. kids are all right, yeah. Right after this section, uh, again, I'm going to have to take back what I said earlier again, where I said, you know, they didn't at all uh, address the idea of how, you know, capitalism uh, creates all this economic productivity and efficiency and stuff. And then it ends up counteracting human ends in a very weird way. And they actually do address this. But the way they do it is such a like gymnastics flip of a thing that also sounds like it this was totally codified into like silicon valley corporate culture at a certain point of like how do you confront the kind of um the the crises the and contradictions capitalism? no they don't they don't, don't use mean, the word capital no, the, no, 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 they don't is, i think it's humanistic capitalism which is like a yes i know yeah. no they they yeah. don't say capitalism but clearly that's what they're talking about but of course they're like right, kind of yeah. trying well, to that's hide like what thing. Yeah, they're doing exactly. this tightrope yeah. walk and so they they call yeah, this it's an industrial the, complex society yeah okay yeah no, they, they call different. this the the fundamental anomaly is what they call it so they say that the central feature <laughs> of the hypothesized transformation is that its ineluctability comes about, as indicated in Chapter 3, because of a major and growing discrepancy between the cultural and social products of industrialization on the one hand and generally desirable human ends on the other. A fundamental anomaly exists of the following sort. So they list a few things. One, the basic system goals that have dominated the industrial era, material progress, private ownership of capital, maximum return on capital investment, freedom of enterprise, etc., and that have been approached through a set of intermediate goals that include efficiency, economic productivity, continued growth of technological manipulative power, and continued growth of production and consumption, have resulted in processes and states, e.g. extreme division of labor and specialization, compulsive replacement of men by machines, stimulated consumption, planned obsolescence, exploitation of common resources, environmental degradation, worsening world poverty, which culminate in a counteracting of human ends, e.g. enriching work roles, self-determination, conservation, wholesome environment, humanitarian concerns, world stability put another way the fundamental anomaly is that quote good micro decisions i.e local decisions made in accordance with prevailing rules and customs currently do not add up to socially good macro decisions <laughs> gee oh, hmm no. so interesting how yeah. it doesn't and of course the you know, they say individuals that they're doubling down on this uh individuals corporations government agencies in the course of their activities make micro decisions like to buy a certain product to employ a person for a particular task to develop and market a new technology to enact a minimum wage law that's a weird thing to throw in that are guided by a web of cultural and habitual behavior behavior patterns common values and beliefs these micro decisions interact to constitute a set of macro decisions of the overall society like a four percent annual growth rate in energy usage degradation of the environment depletion of non-renewable resources which if adam smith's invisible hand were working properly would be compatible with the cultural aims and objectives of the society the degree of compatibility for has for some time invisibly deteriorating the response to this fundamental anomaly is a massive and intensifying challenge from consumers environmentalists minorities workers civil libertarians youth and others to be the, the legitimacy 
of basic systems goals and system goals and institutions. If economic and business goals do not appear to be congruent with social goals, if, quote, good business decisions lead to, quote, bad social decisions, this suggests the need for fundamental changes in dominant institutions and social paradigms to bring the functioning of the society into harmonious relationship with the dominant cultural image of human life. To this end, some have proposed one and another form of, quote, new socialism to increase the governmental regulatory responsibilities over the micro-decision-making of the citizenry and private sector institutions. It is important to note in this connection that the fundamental anomaly described above is essentially a characteristic of technological and industrial success, not of a particular form of government. Thus, although its form is somewhat different, a similar sort of fundamental dilemma is found in industrially advanced collectivist nations with centralized social planning, which by that they mean uh, uh, socialist, yeah, communist countries. Yeah. Um, weird kind of thing to, to uh, say of like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's some such shit going on there, I feel like, with, uh, well, I mean, first of yeah. all, saying, well, like, of course, oops, you know, like, it's like, our... saying, like, oh, like, uh, no, don't, well, yeah, this basically is saying, like, uh, don't suggest that capitalism is bad, like, please, yeah. you know, like, really, like, a lot of the problem is, like, that, you know, of course, this is a cliche, but, like, the full defeat of capitalism, like, wasn't accomplished, like, by those, like, that really was, like, the problem, more so than... <laughs> That, that they, like, you know, was, yeah. T also, like, what is technological and industrial success? Like, you just said that obviously, like, this is a form of failure, really, but... You're anyway, kind of like, complimenting you know, the communist countries for being industrially successful, but, you know, but they're also yeah, kind of, they're divorcing it from the, ide the ideological content and character of those governments and kind of saying it doesn't really matter because they just embraced, like, the great logic of Fordism and succeeded because... It's just this powerful system of, you know, economic uh, order that that just pumps out wealth. It makes the money printer go burr, you know, and uh, that yes. therefore it does, it's not really relevant that they're Marxist or anything like that. And, you know, I think even saying like the new socialism, it sounds like some kind of weird AOC shit of increasing governmental yeah. regulatory responsibilities over micro decision making. That's not really yes, socialism. Exactly. Yeah. And but they can't <laughs> but also they can't like deal with that even. They're like, no, you they know, can't. no, they like, you know, like no no, no it's, it, everything's fine. like really like it's amazing cuz like they're somehow like absolving themselves or you know this whole thing of like responsibility. Like it, it's, at the same time they're indicting it. They're just like, well, you know, we had to become technologically successful, but they're just like, this weird anomaly where like this is destroyed all the, the world money, you know yeah like, it destroyed the world yeah. and all the money went to like 0.1 of everybody uh hmm it's just so interesting yeah, like, like fundamental exactly. anomaly like oops wow, you know also that everyone if, yeah if you're gonna say the like hates this and they're gonna overthrow the system like you know or like whatever you know if we're not how careful odd. yeah right you know, like, like how do we get odd? into their heads fundamental and, anomaly hmm. that just by being so technologically successful and being like genocidal maniacs. Uh, like, the haters you know, come out, uh, I guess. Yeah, the haters come out. Why don't they love the all-seeing eye? Why don't they love the all-seeing yeah. eye? Like, yeah, uh, right? Also, yeah. if you're going to throw um, in at the end that, that the this whole outlining of the problems of the fundamental anomaly in industrial basically they are talking about capitalism you know as actually eh, it's kind of it's very like almost trotsky is like they're just state capitalists you know and saying that like there's not really any difference there's no like alternative character to uh like the soviet bloc they're just like or you know it's almost like a ted kaczynski kind of thing or like well they're doing industrialism so they're they're they too are a disaster for the human race you know 
it, it's mm-hmm. kind of like just writing off all technology, but they're clearly not trying to write off all technology. They they want to like keep using it. They don't want to total. They're not luddites, you know, or an, and prims. But you know, to say yeah. as the first point of the fundamental anomaly, the basic system goals that dominated the industrial era. Okay, material progress. Yes, I think that's universal to any industrial society. Yes, but private ownership of capital, maximum return on capital investment, freedom of enterprise. Well, okay. There's an entire industrial superpower that by definition does not have private ownership of capital. I I guess they, in a way, they do try to maximize the return on kind of their capital investment to make the economy economy as efficient as possible, but also freedom of enterprise also no. So then how is it just exactly the same? And like thus, it's just such a dodge of like, we're not even going to get into this thorny territory of trying to like compare kind of like a Marxist approach to industrialism or even attack it and on also, grounds like, that to, maybe would be fair. They won't even do it. Well, it's interesting because when they're saying the fundamental anomaly described above is essentially a characteristic of technological and industrial success. So, but I would say almost that like capitalism, historically speaking, is a fundamental aspect of the way that like the whole narrative of technological progress and industrial progress has unfolded. Like, I think that sure. the idea I could say, of I could capitalism... Agree uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly would agree with my... would say myself, you know, that, like, the, you know, the theory of capitalism, like, Marxist critique of capitalism, you know, that's a critique of capitalism under, like, an industrial society and is part and parcel of, like, an analysis of an industrial society, you know? Yeah, yeah. like, there's maybe uh, approaches to changing things or whatever but like you know the refusal to like engage with that is absurd you know yeah i do think that but i think that like it's still this kind of weird thing where you know they have to like preserve like the greatness of it's the same thing of like you know the nazarene scum magians uh, from western europe like they uh created a separation between humanity and nature unlike the amazing masonic deists uh like thomas jefferson who was like raping a slave uh over here Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. in America, where they were good. Uh, it's, like, stupid, you know? It's all... Yeah, it is all dodge. It's all about making themselves and, like, you know, the readers uh, feel good about themselves. Like, you know, the... Yeah, it's all, like, very ideologically laden and... Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it even it even hits on... Product. It, it is. It's yeah. quite pathetic. It, it, it even kind of validates some of the points that Carl Oglesby was making in the Yankee and Cowboy War about the obsession with, like, the reliance upon the frontier and the obsession with it and the anxiety yeah. produced by kind of the ruling, like, the ruling bourgeoisie as, like, uh, oh, we got to find a new one. So they talked about, you know, the, the, they talk at the end here about, you know, how to resolve the fundamental anomaly and it's very chilling and it is kind of prophetic in a not cool way uh, that they said there, you know, first off, there's going to have to be some satisfactory coming to terms with what they call the new scarcity, scarcity of food, potable water, construction materials, etc. has always been an aspect of the condition of human life. And it has in the past rather successfully been considered as remediable by advancing frontiers and adequate technology. In some sense, it has thus been all but eliminated in the advanced nations. 
the new scarcity, though, is of a different sort. It arises from approaching the finite planetary limits, I guess natural storehouses of fossil fuels and strategic materials, the ability of the natural environment to absorb the waste products of industrial society, fresh water, arable land, habitable surface area, and the ability of natural ecological systems to absorb interventions without risking ecological catastrophes that threaten human life. So this is the beginning of like it's the so era of limits, you know? Yeah, but it's so interesting that the like global warming isn't even on the radar. Like the idea of warming or climate change, they kind of True. like allude to it, but like the idea of like greenhouse gases, etc. Like you know the change in the average temperature per year, which is like really the dominant thing. Like yeah, it's very interesting how like none of that is on the radar. Well, at all. I think I'm not like sure. We're gonna run out of fossil fuels. Yeah, like, I'm not you know, sure about the out, which is like. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would have to go back and check about, like, the science of, like, climate change and that whole movement. I think it started getting its first stirrings in the 1970s. But in the 1970s, it was, like, the kind yeah. of – it was a whole grab bag of concerns like energy, that were kind of related. Energy crisis, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah energy, energy crisis, crisis, the OPEC crisis, thing, which might have been, like, a backroom yeah. deal with, like, Kissinger anyways uh, to, like – you know, uh, to, to set up the petrodollar or some shit. But, you know, I think that, you know, we're still dealing with a lot of these things today of kind of, like, habitable – even climate change itself – is probably going to affect a lot of these things like uh basically yeah, sure. you know the, the choice to use there, fossil yeah. fuels the basically absorbing all the plastic and waste products of our you know industrial output fresh water access you know nestle's buying all the water rights around the world arable land <laughs> that that's going to be affected habitable surface area there'll be climate yeah. refugees and things like that now of course you know like we talked previously about how some of the alarmism actually doesn't help like the, the chomsky traffics in you know it doesn't yeah actually like help people wrap extinct. their heads around it yeah yeah we're not it's not going to be yeah. like instant extinction and maybe it's like a weird transference of the nuclear war fears getting like transmuted mm. onto climate change because that really was a threat where a, a large amount of humanity could be extinguished within like months you know like a yeah. catastrophic or nuclear you could war say that it's a transference of like the idea that our cult like you know our image of man needs to die you know mm -hmm. that like what has to become extinct is like the paradigm mm. of society and like uh, you know that agenda perhaps you know mm. yes maybe like i mean and it, like it is true that like our society not only for like the actual very legitimate like ecological reasons which you know i do maintain like one of the biggest indictments of capitalism and like uh the respect in which the industrial revolution has been a disaster uh for the human mm -hmm. race and like the general like you know the rise of genocide like since that time etc yeah i mean our society it needs to change just like fundamentally because even if that weren't a factor like there's many awful aspects of it so yes, it's not yes. just a matter of like existential necessity like it's also i mean yeah it's a, and you know these people are getting it like you see it here in the 70s they're getting out ahead of things that they see coming down the pike soon yeah so they'll be ready for it to just like you know yeah. event 201 or something like that like oh we got to practice and, and theorize and strategize yeah. and all this stuff there's a kind of a chilling paragraph uh again in this section i just want to read real quick that is still talking about the new scarcity it says on the one hand to deal with the problems of the new scarcity with the cultural as distinguished from the economic goal of full employment and with the growing powers of technology to change any and all aspects of the total environment physical social political psychological 
psychological, there's a demonstrated need for some form of effective societal planning and control. On the other hand, right. there are well-founded fears of the consequences of opting for... Uh, more government control, yeah, especially from this crowd. It remains to be shown that a democratic society can deal with the new scarcity, provide sufficient and suitable mm-hmm. social roles, anticipate and guide technological impacts, and protect the interests of the overall society, and yet preserve the basic characteristics of a free enterprise system. Well, there you go right there. That's the closest they get to like admitting the truth. <laughs> That base and so yeah, the, the implication very, in that that's very similar <laughs> to like point six of like you know there's yeah. we need necessary social controls for that yeah exactly maybe it's, we need to yeah, I, I, maybe it, it it might not be true that a democratic society can deal with this so we yeah. might just have to get mm-hmm. rid of it if we have to choose between having a democratic society and keeping a free enterprise system I think the implicit thing in this entire report there's no question of what what choice is going to be made. We're, we're sticking yeah, with free enterprise. Also, another important thing is that we need to convince everyone that, like, we need just, like, a temporary state of exception. You know, like I said, you know, we, I read this quote earlier, you know, the more there can be general understanding of, mm-hmm. you know, they say regulation and restraint of behavior will be necessary in order to hold the society together while it goes around a difficult corner. The more there can be general understanding of the transitory but inescapable nature of this need, the higher will be the likelihood that a more permanent authoritarian regime can be avoided. So we need to, like, sigh up everyone into knowing that, like, we need to, like, take away, you know, uh, mm-hmm. their, uh, like, institute an authoritarian regime to hmm. avoid an authoritarian regime. Yeah, Doesn't like, it just remind you of a few things? Like... To have one. Like, oh, my God, mass shooters. Oh, my God, lone wolf ISIS attack. Oh, my God, COVID, got a lockdown. Can't go outside or hug anybody for a year until, like, the CDC tells you you can take your mask off or something, even if you're vaccinated. Like, we're really going into it now, you know? Like, we're really heading into the mouth of the beast. And we're rounding a difficult corner, but we all... Yeah, well, that, that's, that's what made me story. think of the, like, the what he said, like, you know, we need something to help, you know, humanity round a difficult... And I thought about, like, the dexterity of the Boston Dynamics robot dog, like, being able to, like, deftly, yeah. like, circle around a corner <laughs> to, like, like yeah. tase somebody <laughs> or something. <laughs> like, shoot uh, tear gas canisters at protesters. Yeah, you know, it's like we need, we need a robot dog to navigate this difficult corner in our civilization's progress to hunt down dissidents <laughs> and, um climb stairs and stuff so yeah it's it's pretty chilling and it's like that's that's as close to as in as as an admission as i think we're gonna get out of this book is that they you know it's like they don't even question should we preserve the basic characteristics of a free enterprise system they just kind of throw it out there kind of it almost seems like knowing their audience of like you know corporate yeah. bigwigs or whatever that are gonna read this and go, ooh, uh, like wait, we might not be able to preserve the basic characteristics of a free enterprise system. Well then, all right, what else you got, doctor? You know, like what can we yeah. do? Oh, okay, sigh up everybody. Good, let's do it. You yeah, know, exactly. uh, use uh, some mythopoetic bullshit to manipulate everybody. The of Atlantis, yeah, <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They oh they did say one more time. Maybe we'll we'll move on in a second to that last article. But I noticed there's oh, yeah, one more. 
the last thing they say about kind of this like necessary transformation, they said, uh, as Galbraith and others have noted, when the thousand largest, mainly multinational corporations in the world attain such size and power that their incomes are larger than the majority of nation state incomes, their role Hmm. in contributing to societal macro decisions is significantly altered. No longer are they simply subject to market forces. In an important sense, they exert control over the market. No longer are they simply subject to the controls imposed by national governments. In an important sense, they exert control over national governments. Thus, there arises a demand that the largest corporations assume a social responsibility toward all those, a worldwide group, whose lives they affect. One way in which this might come about is represented in arguments for a, quote, new socialism in which important industries might be nationalized, like an energy supply, and business would be subjected to more control by government to ensure that society's macro decisions would be strongly influenced by elected representatives of the people affected. An alternative response might be termed new new privatism by contrast. This response would involve recognition that legitimacy is conferred or withdrawn in various ways besides elected representation, and it would entail modifications to the operative goals of corporations such that they include, on a par with earned return to stockholders, the two additional roles of providing opportunities for meaningful work as output, in addition to goods and services, and providing tangible benefits to society. Stockholders, after all, represent only one group who have an investment in the corporations. Employees invest some portion of their lives, yeah, no shit, and society invests its trust towards the shaping of the future. So I think that's right there. Okay, yeah, we're there now. That basically, this is like shit, like stakeholder capitalism. You know, like uh, Apple has a green conscience, blah, 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 all that shit. And so, he again, they're kind of offering it as, mm, well, here's two options. We could do a kind of a social democratic new socialism where we nationalize the commanding heights of certain industries that are very critically important and then maybe, you know, increase government regulation, kind of like maybe a, a new New Deal uh, maybe a yeah. Green New Deal, um, or we could hyper privatize everything and come up with a bunch of like sentimental bullshit that makes you feel like you have a role in the company that is shaping yeah, your there, future. Maybe there can be some kind of synthesis where we have like a national socialism, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah like, they just uh, have to prove the that they're doing that they- it for the fatherland. One of the terms they throw around in this a lot, which is like just a horrifying term, is satisfice. Which oh, yeah, is like, you know, the idea of, yeah. yeah, like sacrificing yourself for the well-being of everyone, you know, well-being of, quote unquote, the society, a.k.a. like, you know, uh, the Institute of New Sciences. But, uh, you know, and uh, the whatever. Well, no, no, it's not. I don't think it's sacrifice. Like, I think it's satisfice so that it's like a satisfaction. Well, is no, all, yeah, exactly. Is no, it exactly is. You, you the... have to sacrifice yourself. Yeah, you have to sacrifice yourself, but you have to be satisfied you know, by the sac- well, it's the like sac- yeah, yeah. People people are satisfied by making kind of the best possible like sufficient decision. So it's like they yes. actually are satisfied by things that simply suffice. I don't know. Does that sound like we're we're all going to be eating bugs in the pods soon, and it's going to be <laughs> satisficing? Um, <laughs> right. Like uh, satisfaction is not usually possible. So you know, we suffice the best we can, arriving yeah. at decisions that do not possibly satisfy but may indeed satisfy. <laughs> uh, nice word. That feels like uh, the oh, entire I, like, internet I now is designed read to satisfy. having to do with, I see how it's suffice, yeah. not sacrifice. I thought yeah, it had to yeah, do with sacrifice. Yeah. Amazing. No, no. Okay. Well, well, it is kind of like you what, are sacrificing in a way. That's what it suggests to me. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking about like the whole idea of 
you know, like, the liberal state as being the one that, like, requires, like, all of its citizenry to sacrifice themselves at any given time. I think it's a, a Schmidtian idea, like, the autonomy of the political. I think that he uh, came up with that, or at least one of his critics, uh, but the name mm-hmm. is Casey right now. But, yeah, I thought of that, like, uh, the term satisfice is, like, so, yeah. Um, it's a weird one, but, but they like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of a Uh, thing of like, yeah, maybe stop reaching, uh, you know, like you're not actually ever going to get what you want anyways. So actually most people just like make do with what the the best possible thing that they can kind of have. And uh, that, you know, in some ways maybe is preferable to, I don't know, it's a a whole jumble of ideas. But I think they want us to be satisficed. I think that's what that's what I feel like, you know, being on the Internet and like living your life online is 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 like satisficing. It's like not exactly satisfying the way real human relations are. And they're maybe they're happy that way because it keeps you more addicted to it because it's just sufficing. It's like a maintenance high, you know. That's what it. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. it connotes to me, at least. But anyways, um, do you want to read? You you dug up something. We'll start to to wrap up. Oh but, yeah. Uh, you you dug up oh, a paper uh, by uh, O. W. Markley from 1998, right? Yeah, uh, I do want to read that. But I just wanted to note that what I was thinking of was Paul Kahn's. Yeah, it does deal a lot with Schmidt, but it's uh, his book "Putting Liberalism in Its Place." which deals with uh this idea uh it argues that political order is founded not on contract but on sacrifice because liberalism is blind to sacrifice it is unable to explain how the modern state has brought us to both the rule of law and the edge of nuclear annihilation uh that's just from the blurb uh, for it on Hmm. Princeton university press good book but anyway yeah that's what satisfice reminded me of but anyway uh Uh yeah i found another article by ow markley uh called visionary futures which had like an amazing passage uh, where he cites, like, uh, like well, I mean, I guess he cites a, a lot in the Changing Images of Man. They cite a lot of, like, weird stuff, but uh, this did jump out at me as something odd uh, to, to cite and just in a very odd passage in general with some great stuff. So he's talking about, uh, you know, how to experience alternative futures, uh, and this is uh, one of the methods for that. It's a virtual time travel procedure for assessment of strategies. Uh, so he writes, This process is based on a body of theory that, although highly relevant to the philosophy and practice of alternative futures research, is beyond the pale of what most futures researchers are willing to embrace because its source, because of its source, channeled mm-hmm. material in the book Seth Speaks by Jane Roberts. So, you know, we'll probably <laughs> talk more about that book extensively, but, you know, one of the most famous channeled things that, so like, an entity... Uh-huh you know, uh, named Seth, you know, uh, maybe a certain donkey headed being, uh, but you know, uh, maybe just some sus thing named Seth. I don't know. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so although rather more complex than the simplistic summary given here, this process involves conceptually nothing more than first choosing two or more alternative policy options regarding some problem or opportunity of concern, e.g. the problem oriented output from method one as some other stuff, uh, and then holding the intention in consciousness, as in a simulation exercise, to implement one option rather than the other while in a guided imagery process, not unlike the virtual time travel procedure described above in the essay, experientially uh, to observe the short and long-range impacts of choosing this particular policy option. One then imagines zeroing out the simulated intention to pursue the first option and instead to hold the imagined intention to implement the second policy option, then experientially traveling through the future that stems from it and so forth. The results are usually very clear cut. Which specific future feels more desirable and why? 
Thus, this is a most practical tool for strategically assessing various policy options of concern, whether they be personal or planetary in scope. To continue our hypothetical behavioral scientist example, method three might be based on two policy options. A, making the personal slash professional choice of doing nothing further about futures research on one hand, or B, on the other hand, taking the plunge and beginning to use more futures-oriented concepts and tools in one's professional work in order to make it more personally satisfying or uh, satisficing and useful to society. Uh, as to what the results might look like, consider the case of a clinical psychology student who protested that a left-brain rational-slash-analytic final exam was not appropriate in the author's graduate course on visionary futures. The author, in turn, challenges student to use method three to let the results speak for themselves in making the choice whether to require the final exam. The results? In the version of the script used, the participant was to choose a vehicle through which to travel to the future. Our student, always wanting to experience being a pilot, chose a T-33 jet trainer. In the alternative future involving no final exam, the jet had a real hard time taking off the runway and was relatively unstable in flight and seemed always on the edge of lapsing into uncontrolled flight conditions. In the alternative future in which there was a final exam, the jet took off the ground by the student's parents, uh, sorry, the jet took off the ground strongly and was doing aerial acrobatics, which were seen and admired from the ground by the student's parents, family, and friends. Needless to say, the experience quickened the student's willingness to take the rational-slash-analytic final exam, which the instructor from the beginning had recommended as a way to better integrate the cognitive concepts of the course with the behavioral skills that had by that time been well-learned. Just imagine... Well, this is like a weird situation anyway, but like this guy's student came to him and was like, I don't want to take the final exam. And he was like, well, you have to imagine that you're in a plane to the future, two possible futures, <laughs> uh, you know, and he's like, okay. And then in one of them, he saw himself like crashing the plane. And the other one, his parents were like, yay, like, well, yeah, doing, wow. like flips and hmm. stuff. And he was like, I'll take the final exam. All right, whatever. But wow. anyway, okay. so hypnosis, the, okay. another example that he gives is. It is important to note that when appropriately facilitated, this method works quite well in business as well as academic settings and with newbies as well as those more experienced with guided cognitive imagery methods for strategic visioning. For example, the author recently led a team of a, from a Fortune 500 corporation, sorry, Fortune 50 corporation, currently investigating planetary marketing strategies, using this approach to investigate the long-range implications of Western corporate strategies to embrace marketing to third-world nations versus third-world isolationist strategies for corporate America. Wow. The results were, in the worlds of a corporate team leader, breathtakingly clear that the more inclusive policy option for American corporations to seek third world markets rather than avoid them is better for corporations as well as being better for the third world. After <laughs> all, we do live in the same planetary spaceship and increase. This is a quote from apparently wow. from the corporate team leader. We do yeah. live in the same planetary spaceship and increasingly what ruins a whole region threatens to ruin the whole world. Uh, yeah. I'm what, sure would, what would ruin the region? Like not having, ruined. Like, not, not having access to, to Coca-Cola or something? Exactly, <laughs> like not having yeah, McDonald's? not marketing to them. Not marketing <laughs> to them would ruin it. Cool. Um, okay. But, cool. yeah, so it's amazing to think that they, a, a Fortune 50 corporation, like, went to a retreat with uh, O.W. Markley. They sat down, imagined themselves in a T-33 jet trainer, saw themselves, <laughs> like, flying crisply while being applauded by, like, you know, whatever, and, like, they're all their family and friends, and they're like, well, it's breathtakingly clear that we have to market to the third world, like, and then oh this guy God. being like, wow, this set speaks bullshit really works. 
Yeah, like, yeah. I wonder to what extent. Already, wa- hmm. you know, like, uh, yeah. Well, it's like we mentioned uh, he earlier how. Them, yeah, you know, no, like, he, he probably did yeah. kind of hypnotize them. Like he got them I in mean, like an encounter like therapy, a, yeah. uh, set and setting where he could do that, and they were suggestible. Yeah, set and setting. I mean, it makes yeah. me think about like what we said kind of near the beginning about how you know, even though maybe not a ton of people have heard of changing images of man, that a kind of relatively small thing, like they said, uh, a, what do they call it? Like a high leverage uh, idea can have an outsized yeah. impact on a certain slice of a population that makes it much more popular. Very um, outside. And so yes, to uh, what I, it makes me wonder, because I think this is written kind of towards a, a corporate kind of business audience that, you know, a lot of these things, you know, it's easy to think about it as they're going to do this to the entire population and sigh off all of us into, you know, Mm -hmm. loving um, yoga and and not questioning capitalism. But I think if there's a group that they want to target the hardest, it might be kind of like, like C-suite business executives and stuff like that who need to be brought in on the ideological program and like given a reason sometimes like a weird thing like oh we visualized that it would be so bad for the third world if we didn't like market coca-cola to them so we have to do it because that means we're doing the right thing instead of just sitting down you know we talked about it before like to what extent do like capitalist elites or some people like sit around and or even like what you said about the nazis and sit around and like rub their hands together and are like like i mean i think maybe people like michael aquino do because they're like very consciously down with that but a lot of these people yeah. yeah i mean even the reports from like the one of the reasons they had to, to bring up the Einsatzgruppen in World War II when they were going around slaughtering people in Eastern Europe uh, is that they they originally started using the Wehrmacht soldiers, you know, like regular soldiers, and they they didn't handle it well, you know. I mean, not to excuse mm-hmm. them for doing genocide, but like they were they would they would purposely like miss when they had to like execute people by firing squad, or they would you know like they'd have psychological breakdowns and stuff because. The image of man that had been sold to them yeah. was of this badass, heroic German hero, this Ubermensch that was actually, and like it goes to your point actually, that they were all psyoped into thinking they were on the right side of history, but there's just something about yeah. Max executing civilians that just doesn't <laughs> jive yeah. with that. So what they did is then they're like, oh shit, okay, so when every time we go in a region, like we invade Ukraine, we got to round up all the most right wing, like ultra nationalistic, pissed off ukrainians and then get them to go kill all the poles and the jews and then that ended up working because it was like local beefs where you know the right. the context of a ukrainian wanting to do a pogrom on a jewish you know shtetl or kill his polish neighbors is basically that you know it's a more localized beef where i'm the good guy because uh poland took over this country after world war one and they treat us like shit so i'm gonna get even and get my land back you know that kind of thing so yeah. you know they did a romania hungary all around and so you can kind of see the power of like not and, and so if you think it a system like corporate American capitalism, multinational corporations, like absolutely a lot of these people are like fucking bug men with no souls or they're like mm-hmm. there's probably an overrepresentation of sociopaths in these positions. But I don't think everybody is like a conscious sociopath. I think they, they've had to yeah. come up with ways to contextualize and spin whatever they're doing. And even at a point to like go on these spiritual retreats, maybe that's that's probably a big part of the reason maybe why they do it. It's not just to build kind of a tribal harmony in, in the organization, but it's also to 
to contextualize and justify their rampaging of like global markets and resources without end, which is probably going to end in like a huge, if not not an immediate apocalypse, but like a cataclysmic era where we're going to like reap what we sow. But in the meantime, they had to convince themselves that they're good people. So that's what these uh, susslers at Stanford seems like they were there to provide that meta narrative and that image of man where they could sleep well at night. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they even mentioned that in changing images of man, like in one of the appendices uh, where they talk about like the Sierra Club and stuff and oh God, uh, you yeah. know like corporate retreats and they talk about uh-huh. like the the ritual activities you know mm-hmm. of uh, you know totally. these these groups that create an ideological bond. Uh huh. It's yeah. still, again going back to like the Maoism example of like how do you build revolutionary? How do you build in this case like how do you build counter revolutionary consciousness? But not in a way that like, you're not going to invite the local head of the John Birch Society to come and give you a ranting speech about how like communism is uh, evil and it's everywhere and we need to stomp it out because these liberal Californians, man, who've been dabbling in all these groovy ideas, that doesn't sound cool to them. You know, that's part of the old yeah. uh, Nazarene. Uh, outdated tech man you know so they want something new and inspirational they it's really true they needed a revitalized image of self to basically um i guess not have a kind of a micro psych kind of psychotic breakdown or have this like cognitive dissonance that would uh weaken the overall organism of like capitalism the you know satanic demiurge itself so you know they had to do this to like manipulate people into actually we're reaching beyond the paradigm so so then you can write a book where you don't have to bring up vietnam you don't have to bring up any of the other awful things that we were still like an apartheid official apartheid society up until the late 60s or anything like that you know what i mean like it's just you oh well no we just need to raise our consciousness and like these things will kind of work themselves but in the in the meantime bare knuckle all out like global techno capitalism is going to keep going and we're actually like we're not actually stopping it. We're just, you know, like they said, don't throw the the privatized baby out with the bathwater now. We don't want to get rid of the free enterprise system, right? You know, we just want to uh, we want to rejuvenate the image of it, basically. Um, so yeah. yeah, and then maybe become Nazis if we have to, if we have to, right? Yeah. No, that <laughs> actually is a very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm just reading this very interesting appendix here now, talking about you know. Uh, like the managerial elites and how you know they will create these uh, like uh, different network systems like you know just be, it's so ridiculous like you know mm-hmm. uh, the linking function of the revival meeting the demonstration the rally and the ritual activities of the grassroots spins which is like a synchronous polycephalic network or something that's what it's short for okay. uh, you know like the Sierra Club is paralleled in the global managerial network by a variety of overlapping social clubs and policy organizations, just like uh, the Freemasons. The Freemasons. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, not only in exclusive playgrounds among the California Redwoods, but in policymaking groups of the Business Council, the Council of Foreign Relations. Wow, cool. Yeah, they anyway, are connected. Yeah, so. we, we might have to do a Sus Sierra Club episode one day, uh, and like maybe a Sus John Muir. He was a big figure growing up. You know, Muir Woods, Endor, where they shot uh, Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. You know, I wonder if he was a Freemason, because he gets such a, uh, you know, the father of the national parks and all this, like, fun stuff and yeah. all these things. And, but, yeah, so, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations is just, yeah, another great thing that's, uh, you know, helping us, because this actually is interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, the point here that uh, this author writes, the point is to recognize the power of a few basic assumptions to unify organizationally disparate groups. It is the key to recognizing this qualitatively different mode of organization, one so alien to the bureaucratically minded that it appears to be either non-existent or is interpreted as a conspiracy. Many mm. observers of the protest movements during the 60s fell into both traps. The first trap is now catching people who press for legislation requiring dismantling of large corporations uh, or, or tighter control <laughs> over multinationals by nation states. This is to misunderstand the organizational structure binding the upper levels of the corporate giants and the nation states into a network of shared and conflicting interests. The conspiracy trap catches many, particularly in discussions of the oil crisis. As Goodwin points out, there is no need for conspiracy. It is only necessary that managers, corporate or governmental, understand and follow the rules of behavior dictated by the structure that binds them and the set of stable assumptions, often unspoken, that inform decision making. Decisions made by people who share assumptions, even though there has been no discussion between them, will produce actions so similar that there appears to be collusion, even though the actors themselves feel they occupy conflicting positions. Okay, I mean, I, I get true, it, but, all, but I yeah, get it, but also like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Uh, you are like, oh, it's just all like broad structural forces and people act in the roles that they have been programmed. Again, like a, it's like a weird thing. I'm like, oh, they're just like they're kind of just like playing their role in society, like cogs in a machine, and thus like don't have agency but also we're obsessed with like individual autonomy and like individual destiny i don't know it's just it's so lame yeah. uh, that like, it's also like the idea uh, that like they're connected like you know that this is like a, a network interchange and not like a formal you know it's an ad hocracy a horizontal linkages i mean i guess you know it's similar to like an interlock type thing but like the idea that this is like a good new paradigm or something you know i don't know if that's really what she's saying like is uh you know good in terms of like these i mean i think that she's saying it's better than than the hierarchy so but yeah is it it's really better than hierarchy it's point. better than centrally planned this or uh, that it's just everybody at least <laughs> yeah, gets to be know. free and follow their own star and live their truth yeah. and i guess but also be like a monkey like a robot monkey like uh, who's just acting their role in a machine and it's just it's such a dumb like, uh, yeah it's, it's such a dumb like uh like take on like high political matters of like political intrigue like you can read uh, going back to antiquity like political intrigue is a thing did like uh caesar know that all the senators are going to get up and stab him uh no because they yeah, had a conspiracy also, that you know again it didn't like have over idea. 50 senators so it doesn't you know it, it was it was yeah, possible i also like the idea that like <laughs> there's two traps that people fall into like one is wanting these multinational corporations to be like more regulated and yeah. the other one is like thinking that there's a conspiracy, like you know, uh, <laughs> which okay. the '60s trap they fell into. Yeah, like when Robert Kennedy and what a, so know, many traps. Yeah, MLK he fell into shot. a trap, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah they he fell did into fall a into a trap. Yeah, as, uh, JFK as, fell into a trap. Uh, oh yeah. Well, you know, yeah. as uh, as Graham Parsons said in the great song "Sin City," he trusted his crowd, so he spoke right out loud, and they lost the best friend they yeah. had. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They got them, folks. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, pretty, pretty uh, interesting, but ultimately contemptible bullshit book that is evil. Um, <laughs> that's my historical take. curiosity, but yeah, like you know what to expect uh, going into it. Yeah, it's um, like it's frustrating that this was so yeah. obviously so influential to so many people, and that people yes, don't really know and, about it. 
Yeah, it's quite infuriating to, like, picture these, like, smug people, like, writing it uh, and thinking that, like, they understand anything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, no. yeah. They, they know. Um, yeah, it's pretty bullshit. Yeah. But, you know, they did, um, they plan, they did the ultimate central planning. And I guess they, they won. Um, or decentralized planning. Uh, they were planning, folks. They were yeah. planning. You know, they're planning something. They were planning. And I think they accomplished part of it, but... And now this is all like endemic yeah, the in our thing society. They're most passionate about it's funny, yeah. Like facing the crisis of capitalism, the thing they're most passionate about is like getting everyone to worship the all-seeing eye. Like they just, yeah, <laughs> like that's yeah. there's just not uh, enough you know, Freemasonry. The back, of, the back of the dollar the bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. of all things, like the U.S. dollar will point the way out of the problem that we're in. What's on the back and of the U.S. That's dollar? That's kind of amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah, kind of it in like a nutshell. So just look, yeah. stare into the the glowing luciferian eye of the dollar of the u.s dollar bill that is backed by like saudi oil which isn't a conspiracy don't think about it too hard just like stare into your navel and do mindfulness meditation and join one of these great cults that we've told you about today it'll all be good man so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah watch out for (sighs) watch out for fucking social scientists that suck (laughs) any any thoughts you want to leave us with about this great yeah thing. that's pretty much it yeah watch out for gnostic uh cultists who love being freemasons you know shooting cyclo psilocybin into their heads and being cyclos and uh <laughs> you know giving yeah, stuart brand his uh, first uh, having acid electrodes and... yeah exactly yeah and auditing themselves and thinking that they accessed like you know the true perennial wisdom yeah <laughs> uh stay away from right, it if yes. you don't know by now yes. stay away from it yeah but um, we'll, we'll we'll jump into some of the people the who are quoted path. in this yeah 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 we'll, for sure though we're gonna do again. a whole joseph campbell breakdown at some point i think margaret mead and gregory bateson are really important McLuhan was mentioned a few times he's another one yeah um, McLuhan. we kind of mentioned some people, him a little bit in yeah our, yeah earlier ones on the uh yeah uh, the california yeah theology. and also just yeah. yeah we we didn't get too deep into the their discussion of parapsychology but they did list almost like in a mind war kind of way like some potential things that are being studied right now they did mention uh they cited a couple times uh Hal Putoff and Russell Targ who were working at SRI on the remote viewing and ESP experiments so they uh, were very they excited about that and hypnosis another thing that they mentioned that was uh weird literally was uh, just to continue the David Myatt thing they really made a point to say this is just a quote that I, I uh, took a note on but I forgot to mention uh the idea of moving from where we are not to where we most truly are is well from William James, you know, the famous pragmatist, but uh, is well expressed in a now archaic meaning of the word weird. Anglo Saxon weird, uh, with the Y, you know, <gasps> no, which is sh- the word related up. to the German Verden to become. Standing in direct contrast to the Indian notion of Dharma or the current Western notions of socialization or conditioning both of which see the individual as necessarily subject to the law imposed by society, weird is an unfolding from within of what is potential. Note that this is an essential meaning of the root word educare, to bring forth as something latent, from which our word educate derives. Uh, this image of reality as, with Eliot, still point to the turning world, where the past and future are gathered, the metaphysical ground of the person, and what has brought him forth are one and the same. 
So, you know, whatever, uh, just a bunch of, like, woo-woo, but uh, they love that they seized upon weird. Uh, very David Weird, Miami. which, uh, yeah, we talked about weird, the yeah. 09A, is David Myatt is obsessed yes. with the weird, yeah, uh, the Magian, concept of weird. Yeah, uh, Spangler connection, yeah, the weird, uh, yes. There's uh, a lot going on here. I, I did not expect to find such, like, weird 09A synchronicities in Changing Images of Man, but perhaps I, I should have expected yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, yeah, you know? Uh, yeah, the Idris Shah changing images type people and the david maya connections are quite strong but mm -hmm. anyway yeah so watch out for yeah. uh the weird uh and the honor and being offered. yeah they're all doing insight roles uh, yeah. fuck they can all they fuck are, off for sure. and yeah so yeah that's it now so until next time dear listeners stay vigilant peace